Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add-ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Unitanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Today's Sunday session is proudly brought to you by More Beer at www.morebeer.com. I poured it in my mouth and it just wasn't going down. My first beer was IPA, the best IPA I've ever drank. Mostly because I brewed it. If you have a scale that is good for measuring cocaine, you're probably good for measuring hops on cocaine. You're scaring me. <laughs> I think the information is awesome and the audio sucks. Make some sugary water, throw it, some yeast in there, and you're going to drink good beer. Yeah, it's, it's going to be good. It's fine. <laughs> Damn it, man. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. From the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is the session. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the program, and thanks for being with us. It's another session. It's a Tuesday session. Keep moving deeper into the week. <laughs> what the hell's that about? <laughs> Soon we'll be back on a Sunday. You know, I just I had a wedding to go to uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Ooh, out of town. This time around. Which, Nashville. Uh, oh, Nashville was awesome, by the way. I'll maybe tell you a little more about it later, but the beer scene there was fantastic. Uh, I'll give it that right now. Uh, uh, yeah. Literally... 99% of the beers I had and the places I went were very, very good. Wow. Fantastic, were, even. Were they local? Uh, were they, local. I, oh. I stuck to local beer oh, and, and just had a great time. And um, So I'll tell you a little more about that if we have time uh, later on in the show, because I really did enjoy myself. But uh, the reason we have a, a, a Tuesday show is I didn't want to make this our off week, and I'll tell you why. Our guest tonight could not... He was kind of hard to book. He's a busy man. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He wrote The Art of Fermentation, among other things, but we're here to talk to him about The Art of Fermentation. And I didn't want to cancel the show. 
I didn't want to move it around uh, because I had a wedding to go to. So so we stuck to it. We're here on a Tuesday and happy to be talking to Mr. Sandor Katz, uh, which we're going to be doing in just about 10 minutes, actually, uh, right here at the beginning of the program. Awesome. I tell you, there was a lot of uh, heat on Facebook. People were stoked about this one. The guy... They're really excited. He's really a, a fermentation guru, and, and I didn't know this until I got into the book. Mm. And uh, I went so far as to not even do the audio book uh, <laughs> this time around. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you you have, that's, that's respect <laughs> for the guest right there. It must not have come in an audio book. Yeah, there was none, none available. Yet. Uh, no, uh, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm very impressed by uh, the knowledge that Sandor has about fermentation, the experience he has. It's a very experiential knowledge. He spent a lot of time um, conducting fermentation, not just on, on alcohol, uh, mm-hmm. by the way, but just uh, within food in general. And the book is about how it, uh, fermentation plays a role in our lives and has played a role in our history. And and I, I could not be more excited uh, than to have this guest on the, on the program tonight. Well, I'm certainly a fan of fermentation. Wow, it's great. It's I'm I'm gonna pass the book around to you guys after the program because it's it's like fifty bucks. Oh wow! Uh, but it's worth every penny. Oh, but I don't want you guys in your underpaid selves to have to go. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh wow, that's a big book, dude. <laughs> but that's, that's our Christmas bonus. We touch the book. You guys, you guys are gonna like this book. I, no, I mean, you guys take it home for a week at a time and, oh, and enjoy. That. It's, uh, it's. Uh, I'm not done with it quite yet, but it's, it's an amazing book. And can so we, it's a big book. He'll be done next. Can year. we get Moscow to put it on audio? Uh, yes, I'd like to hear your voice. For you want Moscow to read it? Sleep, you really want to hear me in your head dictating a whole book? We'll, we'll yeah. tweak the frequency. Can you make it exciting? We'll tweak it a little bit. We won't know what you're... Yeah. When do I ever speak and it's not exciting? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we're going to be talking to Sandor in just a few minutes, and that's why we're here on a Tuesday night. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can hit the chat button on the homepage, and Bevo is in there ready to take your questions. Uh, if you've got questions for Sandor or anything else during the program, just hit the chat button. You could also call us up, 888-401-BEER. That's 888-401-BEER, and we'll take your calls that way. So, in, in, in light of us having uh, kind of a lot to do and our, our interview coming up here really early in the program, let me get right to some announcements. Uh, by the way, we're also going to be doing a Brewcaster Challenge update. Yes. Uh, that's right. Doc and John Plisse have both brewed their Roggen beers. By the way, we've been pronouncing it wrong on the show for weeks. <laughs> that's now. weird. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Don't you mean we've been pronouncing it wrong? <laughs> Yes. yes. Really? Roggen beer. And uh, we'll be talking about that here on the program tonight. Uh, we'll be betting, placing our bets on uh, which brewcaster might win this uh, this time's challenge. Are we, uh, we going to get a little John Please Say Love in the studio tonight? Uh, I don't know. I'm waiting to hear back if he's doing a phoner or, or coming on in. So I, I have a feeling it's going to be a phoner. So we'll see. But uh, he is committed to being in the studio on tasting day, of course. So we'll have John there, you know. <laughs> Uh, we're also, uh, we've got a local musical guest on the program later on tonight. Uh, Lucas Ohio Patty is our musical guest. He's a local guy and uh, been playing music around the Bay Area for years now. He's got a new album out, so we're going to hear from him uh, toward the end of the program. So, a lot to do tonight. Let me get to your announcements for you. The American Homebrewers Association has put out a survey of uh, homebrewers and, and home winemakers. And the point of the survey, and I believe they do this every year, is to uh, gather as much information about our community and the homebrew industry as possible uh, in order to better serve you as your uh, American Homebrewers Association. I believe we've put the link to that survey on both our Facebook and Twitter pages, um, so you can find it over there. Uh, I'll read it to you, but if you you're driving or whatever it's it's one of those long ones but it's uh, research.net slash s slash aha underscore affiliated yeah spell affiliated for us 
we're like the only industry left on earth that that, that can't figure out how to do short URLs. And, and by the way, we're, the, the the Brewing Network is no ex- exception from that rule. New dot live stream. I was just going to say that is so long. I wouldn't even try. It's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so we've made it easy. We've just put it up on our Facebook page. You can, yeah. uh, you can link to it there. You could also uh, link to our uh, how to watch the show live in the studio over on our Facebook page. There's a link there. Even on Tuesday. Uh, for that as well, even on a Tuesday, we're going live. Yeah, these things work on Tuesdays. Yeah, Boy, I don't. <laughs> All right, uh, our good friends at the Creek Monkey Tap House, which is just around the corner from the BN Studio here. Just letting you know that on eight thirteen, they're having a Twenty First Amendment Pint Night. So our good friends Creek Monkey joining forces with our good friends over at the Two One A for a Two One A Pint Night at Creek Monkey. That's on August thirteenth. It's a Tuesday night. Come on out and check it out. They'll have a bunch of Two One A on tap, and you can't go wrong with that. Dr. Homebrew, our brand new show hosted by your own Jason Petros. That's me. Is available in iTunes and on the homepage. If you go to thebrewingnetwork.com slash on tap, you will find a list of all the Dr. Homebrew shows. That's its temporary home, but at least it gets it up on the homepage so you can see descriptions, download it, send it to your friends, do anything you want to do uh, until our website uh, is finished being built, and uh, then it'll have its own permanent page. But right now, it's right there on the homepage, right next to all the other shows, as well as in iTunes, just uh, search Dr. Homebrew or use the XML feed, thebrewingnetwork.com slash drhomebrew.xml. You can shop on Amazon and help out the Brewing Network. Just click the Amazon link on our homepage, shop as you normally do. You won't even know that we're there watching you, everything you do, taking a piece of your money. It's a great way to support us. We are doing it. We don't actually get to watch you. I, I did hear from several listeners at the National Homebrewers Conference, though, Moscow, that they are quite disappointed we are no longer doing the Amazon item of the week. Oh, yeah. They found it to be a fantastic segment, and I was reminded that I kind of liked it, too. So please bring back the Amazon item of the week uh, next week, Okay, you? yep, I'll have a new one. Okay. It, it's all because of you freaks and the weird stuff you order. That's, that's the segment. <laughs> that's what makes it interesting. You know, that's why they like it, because they're like, we are freaks, and we want to know. <laughs> I'm, I wonder if it has actually spurred somebody to buy something they wouldn't have otherwise, right. just in hopes of making the segment. It's a stretch, but you never know. Hey, yeah. well, I'll take it either way. So please bring back the, what are the freaks shopping for this week? <laughs> uh, next week. Uh, all right. Uh, there's iPhone and Android apps available in your favorite store, you know, iTunes or the Marketplace. Just search BN Mobile. It's free. Uh, the, the other one shouldn't be there anymore. If there's anything charging you money for the Brewing Network app, that, that's not us. So don't do that. Just search BN Mobile. It's a free app. You can listen on the go. Uh, and as I said, you can watch all this over on our live stream page. Go to live stream and search uh, Brewing Network or click the link on our Facebook page. I'll get that up on the homepage, too. We're still testing the service, actually. And uh, it's going to be uh, we're supposed to be getting you some higher definition video here soon. But we're just in we're in beta right now. Yeah, we are. Once that's all done, we'll put a link right on the homepage and you can click on it all the time. Uh, all the time. Every day. Uh, All air, day. Air day. Air day. Air day. <laughs> All right. Subscribe and join the BN Army just by clicking the donate button. You can do. Uh, you know, you can donate one time or you can uh, donate monthly. If you're a monthly donor, you're entered into the more beer donation giveaway, and we appreciate that very much. It helps us out, and uh, you get first dibs on tickets and new merchandise and all sorts of goodies that JP sends out every month to the BN Army uh, <laughs> recurring donors. Get all this and more over on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook. Uh, send your show ideas over to Scott the Jew. That's Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. And send feedback to feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com. We'll be doing feedback at the end of the program today because we've got to get to our interview here pretty quickly. 
But do we have a Twitter game? We do have a Twitter game. All right. Your Twitter game is brought to you tonight by our good friends over at Moonlight Meadery. Boy, do we love Moonlight Meadery yes. and Michael Fairbrother. He's a good dude, and his team is making fantastic meads all over the country. If it's not yet in your area, ask for it, and he'll get it there. Moonlight Meadery. Uh, so I was thinking the other day about all the things that Scott paints. He loves the seascapes and he loves, you know, the Giants players and whatever. But uh, Does he love seascapes? He does love seascapes. There's a lot of seascapes in his repertoire, okay. I feel. All right. um, so, uh, you know, I wondered if he ever branched out and maybe he would look internally into the BN uh, for, uh, you know, for some sort of inspiration. Um, I thought, if Moscow ever painted Tasty Nude. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> on, <laughs> Sorry, Tasty. Now, on Velvet. Oh. Now, this is not just some cheap, oh, shoddy nonsense. This is a velvet painting. JP, that went without saying. Right? Once you said well, tasty nude, we all knew it would be on velvet. Well, that's what I thought, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, what would you trade for it? Now, this is a no money... <laughs> Anything. No money situation. There's Everything no money. I own. But what would you trade? It's a barter. I would... I will trade JP. Whoa. I'll trade everything I own. <laughs> <laughs> That's rude. Except uh, the bus, because you want to put it in the bus. Well, yeah. Now, on the ceiling. It, no, yeah, it'd be the new, like new pop top. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in a reclined position, like, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my head on my hand. Like, of course. Well, yeah. Will he be laying on some sort of fur rug? Like the, uh, uh, yeah. That's up to Scott. That's artist oh. interpretation, man. Can this be the first Twitter game that we actually turn into a reality? And, uh, are you able to Dear do... Dear God, I hope uh, not. <laughs> are you able to do a velvet painting, Moscow? Is the BN in the mood to commission? <laughs> commission. Well, mood. somebody will get... Can we, can we add money to the... You said no money, but if we can make it a reality... Um, maybe people would bid on it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, in my, you whoa, know, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. In my post-apocalyptic yeah. utopian <laughs> world, one thing I you're felt that about here. money's gone. Uh, I see. Make sure you get a, a, a model release well, by Tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you take any have, money. You still do have to pose for it, Tasty. Yeah. Uh, what if I can wear a sock? <laughs> That's fine. And then I'll I get some uh, artistic license over the uh, right. like length of the dong and all that. Like an ankle sock or something? Yeah. Well, what, what makes you think I can't do it from memory? <laughs> right, because oh, it's going to be oh, burned. Hey, it will be burned. Talk about that. Time. It will be burned in your mind. <laughs> will be. Yeah, burned in tent? my mind. <laughs> I like <laughs> once, this. Once one. you see <laughs> it. All right. Good. Well, thanks. All right. So, uh, what would you trade for the velvet? Portrait of Tasty. Hopefully, it's U.S. currency, and we'll make it a reality. <laughs> there is no U.S. currency. Oh, this is like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome nonsense, dude. This is you trade like a liter of gas and a full can of beer or something like that. Still, part and he used blonde. This is only part. Part two could still, if it's as popular as I think it's going to be, we could bring yeah. it back for a currency exchange. Too. No, we can. Yes, I mean, it, yeah, whatever anyone wants to trade, you guys can do money if you want. I suppose, but I, I don't think you're gonna be able to get people to not spend money on it. <laughs> Money's not funny though. I want like someone's third and first child. You know. <laughs> Well, yeah. That's fine for tonight, but I can't wait to see the, the homebrew who wants this hanging in his, you know, his his uh, basement bar or his brewery wants it nude of tasty in his favorite recliner. It might be like a, a night with a wife. You, yeah. you never know. Like, you just, you don't know. So. Anything. Maybe, maybe we should just make prints of the original and just sell it <laughs> at our booth at every yes. festival. <laughs> It can be signed. What kind of what kind of uh, of recliner do you think Tasty has? Is he an, is he a lazy boy oh. guy? No, Chase Lounge. <laughs> oh, Chase Lounge. All yeah, the way. Chase, yeah, Chase, yeah. Like like French, uh, you know, Victorian style. Right. Oh, you mean the one arm kind of thing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I like Tasty. Kind of keeps doing it a little bit. He's yeah, kind of yeah. showing us, <laughs> and it, and it's making me. I can see it, and then I then I go like, no, I see it happen. <laughs> 
right. No. I mean, you can cross your legs over so you don't have oh, to. Oh, I don't even have to wear show the goods. This, yeah, oh, you know. Okay. Oh no, you can wear underpants. Oh no, it'll be yeah. tasteful. Oh, I can be an alien. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. What yeah, are yeah. we? Vulgar here? Tasteful nudes. A tasteful big fat taste. I just, I just got. Peter Griffin pictured in my mind. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like that, yeah. I'll do the belly right. hanging I'll, over. I'll cover it all over. I'll cover it up with the yes. belly. Yeah. He's like a hairy Peter Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, guys, it's getting mean. Zach, that gives you a great, that's a great visual. <laughs> all right, so a lot of things to do tonight, as you can see. <laughs> wash your brain if you can. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we change the subject and, and wash our brains away? Yes. <laughs> like an Etch-A-Sketch, just shake it. Uh, <laughs> shake them dreads. All right. Try to get our guest on the line here because I'm very excited to get to this interview. We've got a lot to cover with Mr. Katz and uh, a lot else to do today as well. So uh, at this moment, we should have Sandor Katz. He's a New York Times bestselling author of The Art of Fermentation on the line. Sandor, are you with us? I am with you. Hey, thanks so much for joining the program today. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, Sandor, uh, just a little background into into why we, we, we wanted you on the program here. Uh, of course, we're called The Brewing Network, and, and we're a show about beer week in and week out. So, so fermentation is near and dear to our hearts. Um, and, you know, I read an article about your book when it first came out uh, quite some time ago, and I had our producer contact you to get you on the show. And since then, I've spent some time with your book, and I've become a huge fan so I wanted you on the show just because of the idea, but I'm telling you that since then, I, I've just become a big fan of, of your work, and I'm excited to be able to talk to you about it today. So, thank well, you. Well, it's nice to hear that. Thank you. Now, this is not your first book about fermentation, is it? Uh, no. In uh, 2003, my first book about fermentation was published, and that was called Wild Fermentation. Got it. And how long um, have you been, uh, if I could call you this, a, a fermentation junkie? <laughs> um, well, let's see. I would say uh, 1993 is the year that I moved from New York to Tennessee and started keeping a garden and made my first batch of sauerkraut and uh, you know began to get obsessed with fermentation. Uh, and I have been experimenting with fermentation ever since then. Uh, so I had been at it, I guess, for 10 years when I when uh, wild fermentation came out. Um, and then, you know, that would be about 20 years by now. Okay. So you've been experimenting with this stuff for a long time. And and something I, I wanted to point out and, and try to get a little bit of your background while we're at it is, to me, the book is a very, um, it's a practical guide to to fermentation techniques, while also really an enormous amount of, of, of information and historical information. Um, do you also have, are, are, are you a biologist? Are you a doctor? Do you have a scientific background? Uh, not at all, really. I mean, uh, I, I have a college degree. I was a liberal arts student. I majored in history. Uh, the last time I took a biology class was actually ninth grade. But, uh, yeah. you know, through my, through my interest in fermentation, I, I've definitely been, um, you know, educating myself and, and, and reading a lot. Perfect. This is perfect for me. And I have a lot of co-hosts in the room that you're going to hear their voices uh, as well. But, Doc, do you see already why I'm such a fan? Because he's a, he's a liberal arts major, who, who has who, but he dove into the, the science of fermentation by just doing it, and, uh, and look how successful he's become. Well, the big success here is that you're actually reading a book yeah, about you, something scientific. He's got me reading things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a plus right there. <laughs> well... You know, I just wanted to get that out there, out there, Sander, mostly to uh, because the book, in in its practical information, but as well as as 
as the the historical information that you've given, it's so well researched that it's it's easy for for dummies like me to read. I think is what I'm getting at. Uh, <clears throat> well, well, thank you. I mean, you know, I mean, I think that this stuff is incredibly interesting from from you know many different perspectives. And you know, if you want to geek out on the science of it, you know, that's interesting. I think the you know sort of um, uh, you know stories of uh, you know how fermentation was practiced in different cultures is 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 fascinating. Yeah. Um, and and also, I mean, I'm very interested in the you know sort of socioeconomic role of um, you know food and drink in in our lives. And so, yeah, I mean, I've tried to look at it from all these different perspectives. In, in terms of the socioeconomic uh, uh, factors involved, you you seem to be very much a proponent of, for one, uh, growing your own food if you can, obviously fermenting your own foods, and kind of the, the, the local movement uh, in, in general. Sure, sure. No, I mean, I, I, I think that it's, I think for many, many reasons, it's, you know, critically important that we reclaim our food. And I think that the, you know, sort of the, the, the model that we were working off of uh, in the United States in the period when I was growing up was that, you know, we're all lucky that we don't have to have anything to do with food production and that it happens in faraway places that we're not thinking about. And then the food just, you know, finds its way to the supermarket. And I think in, in, in recent years, um, you know, people are starting to wake up to the fact that, um, uh, you know, sort of a food system where, you know, everyone is, or almost everyone is utterly disconnected from where their food comes from, um, you know, there, that there are consequences to that in terms of the sort of quality and nutritional value of the food that we're eating, in terms of the, you know, energy that gets embedded into it, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, our resilience and, you know, readiness to sort of feed ourselves, uh, you know, if 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 there were to be some disruption of our transportation systems um and, 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 and ultimately, I think at a, at a spiritual level where, where you know, I think the, the utter disconnection from the source of our food, um, you know, has just left many people searching. So, I, I mean, I think much broader than fermentation, um, uh, you know, many people have embraced the project of um, um, becoming closer to the sources of their food, breaking out of the role of, of consumer and starting to sort of think of themselves in some regard as food producers, uh, supporting local food producers. Producers, um, and I think we we just have a sort of a whole new consciousness around this. But we can't, you know. Obviously, the food that people eat isn't just the raw products of agriculture. It's all of the things that you can turn the raw products of agriculture into. Um, so you know, that's where the fermentation arts come in because you know they're really the classic um, you know value added products for for agriculture to you know turn perishable agricultural products into. Um, you know, more stable products that can be, uh, you know, exchanged and uh, and transported and such. So this is one of the, the most interesting parts uh, of the book and in, in what I've read of it so far is is fermentation as a as a preservative. Now, I'll, I'll just give you just quickly to let you know that I, I grew up in the in the desert of Southern California and I ate fast food three meals a day. And I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. You know, when I growing up, that was that's we just we ate this horrible. We were very detached from it, just as you described. And I think homebrewing had a lot to do with with changing my opinion about producing something myself and and drinking something that uh, you know that that I really made. And and of course, how fermentation plays a role in that. But when you talk about uh, fermentation throughout history and part of it being as a preservative of food, it's you're not only are you passionate about it, but but and and so it, it makes it easy to read, but. It's kind of eye-opening the the 
the place that fermentation has taken in our culture. Uh, in terms of making food available, for example, in the winter months when it was abundant in the summer, but you needed a way to store it. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, be- beer is not one that we could really describe as as a, a ferment that preserves food because, you know, obviously, you know, just dried barley preserves uh, uh, for for a, a good long time. But, but many ferments, you know, primarily have been valued um, for their ability to preserve food. I mean, think about think about milk. I mean, we can't even, you know, fr- from our perspective in the historical bubble of refrigeration, you know, we can't even imagine what what milk would be if we didn't have a refrigerator. Right. Like the whole distribution system is refrigerated. I mean, fresh milk really is only possible beginning in the 20th century in, you know, uh, uh, highly industrialized parts of the world where refrigeration became widespread. I mean, the milk that most people have drunk throughout history is soured milk because that's what happens to milk if it's not in a refrigerator. Um, and so, you know, yogurt is an example of a soured milk. Kefir is a, is a different example of, of, of a soured milk. And really, you know, every place on the earth where people domesticated animals, for their milk, they develop distinctive styles of soured milk. Then if you start to remove some of the liquid from that, you start getting cheeses and hard cheeses. And, uh, you know, uh, hard cheeses like cheddar and Parmesan cheese, I mean, we're used to putting them in the refrigerator because we have them. But, you know, the, the, the milk is very stable even without refrigeration for, for you know, months and months. Um, so, you know, when I meet people living on the fringes of American society without refrigeration, you know, things like hard cheeses, and salamis and uh, vinegar-based condiments all became all become you know even more important because um, you know they are foods which um, you know just have a stability without being in a fermentation slowing device. Absolutely, guys. Have uh, ever heard of a, a, a cheese box? Cheese box. Just a box you put cheese in. It's not refrigerator or anything. It's like a bread box? It's like a box, but you put cheese in it. Keeps the flies off. I was no. just in New York City uh, after the Homebrews Conference, and uh, we did a tour of uh, the Tenement Museum. Uh, and it would have been uh, how people lived uh, kind of just around the stretch, kind of just up to the Industrial Revolution. And, and some people had refrigeration, but you know, most people didn't. Uh, and cheese would live in a box, in a warm box. And in fact, in New York City in the summer, it was probably a hot box. But through some of the, the, the fermentation activity that Sandor describes in his book and, and the things that you can learn about, uh, it was edible. It wouldn't kill you. The things that were growing in it aren't bacteria. And you guys can imagine in this room, knowing that I'm a, a Sandor, I'm a germaphobe, and, and reading your book, uh, in some ways, is already helping me with that because he's talking about bacteria in a way... Uh, that makes it sound healthy to me. And it's- <laughs> well, bacteria are healthy. I mean, right. you know, look, look, look at our own bodies. I mean, biologists who have been counting the cells of, of, of our bodies came to the conclusion 10 years ago that the cells that we each possess that, 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 that have our unique individual DNA code are outnumbered in our bodies 10 to 1 by bacteria that we are host to. Right. And, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, despite our conditioning to imagine that, 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 that those are all Trying to kill us, um, you know. <laughs> in, in, in fact, those bacteria give us a huge amount of our functionality. Um, you know, human beings could not effectively reproduce without bacteria that are part of women's bodies. Um, uh, you know, we couldn't effectively digest food or assimilate nutrients. Bacteria in our intestines actually um, synthesize certain essential nutrients on our behalf, so we don't have to find them um, in, in in our food. They 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 regulate 
activate, um, you know, what, what we would describe as our immune system. Um, and, and a really interesting new finding is that they have some role in regulating the, 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 the production and release of serotonin and other brain chemicals. So, um, you know, it's just so many different aspects of our, of our functional, our, our, our functioning, um, you know, come from bacteria. And, and here's the thing. I mean, the emerging consensus in evolutionary biology is that all life is descended from bacteria. And the corollary to that, which doesn't get talked about quite as much, is that no other form of life has ever lived without bacteria. So, you know, just as human beings are, are dependent upon bacteria in order to sort of uptake nutrients from the food that we eat, you know, plants are similarly dependent on bacteria in order to uptake nutrients from the soil. Um, so, you know, we, we live in a bacterial world and basically bacteria is the context for all life. And, you know, without denying that there do exist bacteria that can make us sick, we also have to recognize that, uh, you know, the bacteria that are, that are part of us, uh, you know, are, are the single greatest factor in protecting us from getting sick. So, you know, all of these sort of, uh, you know, chemical warfare against bacteria um, that we're exposed to every day is actually making us more vulnerable to uh, bacterial illness rather than less vulnerable to bacterial illness see you guys i'm cured <laughs> are you yeah well, let me now see, you can let embrace me see. the then, term yeah. then you should throw away your hand sanitizer and all your antibacterial soap because it's actually worse for you than not <laughs> well and those things are talked about a little bit in in the book too but to to relate it to beer a little bit and and we've talked about this anyway um now sandor we are big proponents of doing yeast starters for beer for our home brewers and and, and making the environment as conducive as possible to the yeast that we introduce to the beer, as opposed to, to other bacteria, and, uh, or uh, any other yeast as well, even the wild yeast uh, sometimes. And so one of the things we've always talked about is that is if you create an environment that is happiest for the brewer's yeast, it will outcompete any of the other stuff that's in there, because you were never going to create a sterile wort, for example. Well, in your descriptions of, of just bacteria in the body, it's even a, a broader example of the competition going on and that the good bacteria, the useful bacteria, the stuff that we've evolved with, uh, constantly outcompetes uh, the, the, the you know, myriad bacteria that could make us sick. So. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, absolutely, um, and, and I and I totally, you know, I hear what you're saying about encouraging, um, you know, home brewers to, um, uh, you know, create conditions that are hospitable to the yeast that they're working with. Um, what I like to point, one thing that I like to point out to people is that, um, you know, p- people have been making beer for something like ten thousand years, and yeast as a distinct thing in a package has existed for barely a hundred years. Um, and so, you know, yeast is found frequently in the natural world. It's just never found in isolation. It always exists with lactic acid bacteria and other kinds of bacteria. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I mean, all of the brewing until, um, uh, you know, Louis Pasteur first, uh, you know, isolated yeast was done using these mixed communities of yeasts along with bacteria. And and I know there's a segment in your book about wild beers, for example, and wild fermented beers, and we're a huge fan uh, of beers like that. I know you had a chance to visit Cantillon and things like that. So there's still a place uh, for that kind of wild fermentation. But you're absolutely right. With the clean brewer's yeast, it's so recent. Let me ask you this, and, and maybe it's a silly question, but Louis Pasteur, is he a hero or a villain? Because in some ways it sounds like the natural fermentation that you are a proponent of in this book 
kind of exists mostly without pasteurization. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I would, I would say that you know, to me, Louis Pasteur as a historical figure is is a hero. You know, if if only because he, you know, is the first one who you know d- definitively, um, uh, uh, you know, described what fermentation is as a biological process and started, uh, you know, identifying some of the, um, uh, you know, distinctive microorganisms involved in different ferments. And I and I think that that is. Um, uh, I think that that is 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 a huge bit of information, and 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 sort of has helped um, you know lead to greater investigation of, of microorganisms. Sure. Um, you know, but I but I also uh, feel that. Um, uh, you know, because the earliest triumphs of the of the field of microbiology that he spawned, uh, you know, involved identifying um, uh, vectors of, of infectious disease. You know, b- bacteria that were um, you know associated with different diseases. Um, that you know, in the popular imagination and 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 really in the minds of um, you know most scientific researchers, bacteria just became associated with disease. Period, um, and. And, and and I think that the story is, is much more much more nuanced than that. And I think you know we, we, we have to recognize that you know bacteria are our ancestors and our essential uh, you know partners in in, in life. Um, uh, and in the realm of fermentation, I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with working with um, uh, you know uh, uh, pure strain cultures. Um, but but I do think that. Um, uh, you know, in certain ferments, you know, something has been lost. Like since, since, uh, okay, let, let, let's let's talk for a moment about yogurt. Um, and, uh, you know, yo- yogurt is another fermented food that goes back for thousands of years. Um, and it's, you know, milk fermented with a community of organisms. Uh, g- generally, the way yogurt is made is you take a little scoop of your old batch of yogurt and introduce that into your next batch of yogurt. In the technical literature, that's called backslopping, when you add a little bit of your old batch into your uh, in- into your new batch. And, you know, obviously for, for, for yogurt or, or any other food that's based on sort of culturing with itself, uh, to be to have been passed down through the generations, um, you know, it, it, it needs to be able to sort of, you know, carry on for multiple generations. Um, and that's been the story of yogurt. But, um, you know, when microbiologists sought to better understand yogurt and started looking at some of the yogurt communities, well, the, the bias of microbiology largely has been, you know, any bacteria that is not specifically um, uh, uh, utilitarian for some reason is extraneous and we should get rid of it. So, um, you know, early in the 20th century, microbiologists identified out of Bulgarian yogurt <clears throat> two strains of bacteria, um, uh, Lactobacillus bulgaricus and um, uh, uh, Streptococcus thermophilus. And so, you know, basically for uh, the U.S. government, for international trade, those two bacteria define yogurt. And almost all commercial yogurt is made from those two and maybe a third and a fourth strain of bacteria that have been uh, sort of isolated out of out of yogurt. And then sort of, uh, it's not a pure starter culture because there's two different bacteria, uh, bacteria involved, um, but, but it's, um, it's just those two rather than 
in evolved community. And, and it makes fine yogurt, but the yogurt, from that yogurt, you can only make one or two generations of yogurt and then it disappears and stops being yogurt. So basically you have to go buy another starter every couple of uh, uh, generations. So, so I think that the net result, um, uh, you know, might be greater, uh, uh, um, uh, predictability in some way if you use the, the, the pure culture starter. But it, 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 it doesn't have the ability to perpetuate itself. So it has sort of bred a sort of um, uh, dependence on, uh, on microbiologists to, to create these cultures for us. And, um, you know, I think certainly it's much more straightforward to make beer, um, you know, with some of these uh, uh, yeast strains that, that, that have been isolated. But it, it has made, you know, brewers, you know, much more dependent on microbiologists for, for better or for worse. Sure. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the very appealing things for me about most fermentation processes is that, you know, they, they have just been done low tech in, uh, you know, in homes and, and, and communities. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, the, the sort of, you know, traditional mixed cultures that people can perpetuate uh, themselves, um, you know, or the techniques that people used in order to perpetuate their cultures, uh, you know, are just very um, uh, interesting and appealing to me and for me this is kind of what's at the heart of of what's so uh i think intriguing about your book is that you really encourage us to experiment and and when it comes to food i i I think i'm a fearful person uh that i have been indoctrinated in some of the things that you you've spoken about already that i have to worry about different things growing in my food and, and bacteria but Really, with with very few exceptions, you're you're really encouraging us to go out there and experiment and let some of these things happen naturally instead and see what we find. And that that really we're it's not as harmful as I think it is in in, in almost every case. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. Although I mean, I, I I would certainly say that I, I you know I, I like to encourage people to you know understand clearly what the parameters for for safety are. You know, for instance, like I, I can tell you that in the realm of fermenting vegetables, there is no concern about safety. According to the USDA, um, you know, the number of uh, documented cases of food poisoning from fermented vegetables uh, since the beginning of record keeping is zero. Wow. Um, so, you know, that would suggest that fermented vegetables actually are safer than raw vegetables because we hear every year about people getting sick from um, uh, spinach, lettuce, tomatoes. You know, it's kind of one thing after another because they're always is the possibility of incidental contamination, but even if you had vegetables that had been contaminated and 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 uh, you know sort of um, uh, turned them into sauerkraut, um, you know chopped them up, salted them, squeezed them, or pounded them a little bit, stuffed them into a vessel or a crock so that they are submerged under their own juices, well, the indigenous population of lactic acid bacteria would easily dominate over any kind of uh, contaminant, um, and as as they acidified the environment. Environment, the contaminating bacteria would be destroyed because none of the organisms associated with food poisoning can survive in an acidic environment. Now, you know, if we're talking about fermenting salami, well, you know, there are not zero cases of food poisoning from fermented sausages. You know, there's sort of some clearer parameters for safety that you have to be familiar with in order to do it. So, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to be suggesting that, you know, I'm that, 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 
I, I certainly don't mean to be suggesting like you know random uninformed experimentation. I mean, sure. I think it's really <laughs> important to be um, uh, you know have some information about you know what what are the potential risks and what do you need to do to avoid them. Sandor, if it's not in your book, uh, I, I won't have any further information. So <laughs> whatever's there, that's it. That's all I'm doing. And okay, you know, I've well, read there's, that there's somewhere. There's plenty in there for you to chew on. There is actually, and you know what's unfortunate for me because I'm so lazy is that the the one I'm most interested in is actually fermenting meat and yeah. salami and charcuterie and that is the one that that sandor does as he just described but he describes in further detail you know it, at least requires um a, a modicum of 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 background and and what to do and not to do and he does cover quite a bit of that in here but um it's, it's still the one that, that frightens me. I haven't gotten rid of my germophobia quite so much that I can dive right into that. Well, but actually, I have some homemade salami if you want to try it. <laughs> no, I you brought don't. Them. Yes, I do. Do you really? No, I really don't. Okay. No. <laughs> we do have some sauerkraut to try, though, don't we, Moscow? Yes. A listener named Micah sent in five different varieties uh, that he made using Sanders' techniques. So oh. We'll eat oh, some nice. uh, with some sausage at the break. So... Let's do this. Uh, I, I need to get us to a break, but I wanted to, to talk about a little bit of history before we do that, um, if I could. And I just have a couple of things from the book that I wanted to read because they're uh, discussions I, that I think uh, beer people have had for years. And I, and I like the interesting take that, that you've described in your book here. Um, so what I wanted to bring up first, uh, this is early on in the book about fermentation and culture. And the first part of the book uh, is just fascinating in, in talking about uh, fermentation in our lives as a species. And uh, and kind of the you know double meaning of the word culture, that we're not just talking about cultures of yeast or bacteria, but we're actually talking about human culture. And one quote here uh, from anthropologist uh, Patrick uh, McGovern is in here, and he says... Uh, Our species' intimate relationship with fermented beverages over millions of years has in large measure made us who we are today. Uh, And here's my favorite part. Uh, Most people seem to enjoy manipulating our gift and burden of consciousness and do so by whatever means available. Alcohol has been by far and away the most widely available and widely used intoxicant to actually, (laughs) end of quote, to actually manipulate our perception of this consciousness. And for one, I thought that was just pretty insightful uh, about alcohol's relationship uh, with humans. But later on in the same page, there's something that's even more interesting to me. And I'll preface it by saying this, and we've all heard this discussion, not only on this show, but around your your homebrew friends and things like that. Where did alcohol come from? Where did it first happen? And there's a lot of theories, right? Uh, you know, it was it it it's been found in pottery, and uh, nobody really knows where it came from. And Sandor it, it describes that in the book as well. But the theories often, uh, you know, re- revolve around: did somebody figure it out, or did it happen by accident? Well, there's a person quoted in the book who takes a completely different take on it, which I thought was was fascinating, and it kind of brings it back to. The which came first, the chicken or the egg argument for me. And uh, basically he asks, he just poses the question uh, after, after understanding that uh, humans' relationship with alcohol goes so far back and it's so ingrained in our biology um, that he, he poses the question, uh, is it possible that rather than humans discovering alcohol and mastering its production, that we actually evolved always already knowing it? Uh, anthropologist Michael John uh, 
uh, Michael John Aswed points out that all vertebrate species are equipped with a hepatic enzyme system uh, which, uh, it, with which to metabolize alcohol. All vertebrate uh, beings, he's hmm. essentially saying. So instead of asking who did it first and where did it come from, he essentially is asking, we just evolved that way. We always knew it. Right. And then Sandor goes on to give examples of mammals, uh, you know, potentially our ancestors, who knew how to find alcohol. They weren't making it. They were finding it in nature and going back to it and, and consuming it. Yeah, the classic uh, contemporary example is uh, moose in Canada finding apples that have fallen from trees and fermented on the ground. And you'll, you can find drunk moose, mises, whatever they are. M- moose eye. Moose is And, and yeah. Sander, you, you know this better than us because you, you, you research this a bit. But that's, uh, to me, you, you've gone back even farther with animals that have, uh, have been found consuming alcohol. And I just, I loved the reversing of the question, who made it first? And instead of just going, it appears we maybe already just knew it. Like, we just evolved that way. Well, and that's how that's how I picture it. I mean, you know, I mean, we've all had the experience, say, um, you know, picking berries, uh, and you you know, you pick you pick a berry that was like damaged a little bit and is fermenting and tastes like alcohol. Um, you, you know, I mean, there's just there's so much documentation of different animals being being drawn to that that it's easy to imagine our primate ancestors. Um, you know, just filling their mouths with, um, you know, with with fermenting berries, and uh, you know, getting to enjoy a, a little bit of the feelings that, that that come with that. And then it's, right. you know, I think that it's a a, a huge, um, you know, cultural achievement at whatever point we sort of, you know, figured out how to juice some berries um, into a bowl or mix the berries with some water into a bowl, and or you know, or or a hollowed out tree. I mean, uh, uh, Claude Levi Strauss, who's an anthropologist. And, uh, and and cultural theorist of the 20th century, um, I mean, he 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 writes a lot about about mead, uh, uh, you know, fermented uh, uh, honey water, yep. um, you know, being. Um, uh, uh, you know the, the the production of that being the, the the original act of culture, and so you know he imagines uh, you know a band of uh, 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 you know pre-human hominoids you know coming across uh, a hive that washed out of a tree, got diluted with water. There's a puddle of honey water in the ground, bubbling, and some people getting down, tasting it. Oh, that tastes good. Drinking a little bit more, and then you know feeling feeling that the the nice feelings that come with it. And but but it happened as a natural phenomenon, and maybe they'll never encounter that again in their lives until someone has the idea, like, okay, what object could I turn into a vessel? And Claude Levi Strauss is picturing that as a sort of a, a, a rotted out um, a, a branch of a tree or something that would hold water. So, and then you climb into the tree and you take down the the hive and you mix it with water. So, so what you're doing is you're taking something that that that, that has happened on its own in nature, and you are sort of adding in. Intentionality to it, sure. And you're starting to develop techniques and tools, and you know that's the part that's the uniquely human cultural innovation, like the you know being drawn to the smell and the flavor of alcohol. We're not so unique in that regard, right? And now, all these years later, we have Bud Light. <laughs> From all of this creative use and discovering how this could be done, we've ended up here. What direction are we going with, with Bud Light? Well, I just, it was a particularly interesting part of the book for me because I, I just kind of related it to, it's just something I hadn't thought of before, and I kind of related it to, you know, whales that, that know how to migrate. You know, they don't go to migration school. They're, they're just born with it, and they, and they figure that out. And I had never kind of turned the alcohol question on its head and thought, well, 
maybe I'm just looking for an excuse of why I like beer so much, but I just never thought of, well, we were just born to love this stuff. You know, you were just born that way, like <laughs> Lady Gaga born. says. Yes, <laughs> exactly. All right, well, let me do this. Uh, I've got some questions coming in from our chat room. I need to take a quick break. Uh, it sounds like we're going to service up some uh, listener-made sauerkraut, uh, which is sure to be safe. Because, uh, because I've read the book and I know. Uh, I'm still unclear about it. <laughs> so here's what we'll do. We'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have more from Sandor Katz. If you've got questions, hit the chat button on our homepage or call 888-401-BEER, 888-401-BEER, and we'll take your questions. We'll be right back. Hang in there. It's the session. Listening to the Brewcasters. Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, more beer social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz, the forum, the learning center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your home brew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read. Read your way to better homebrew. Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, so I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. 
A vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. When you open a vial of White Labs yeast, you're giving your beer its best chance for a perfect fermentation. In addition to their already incredible variety of yeast, White Labs is proud to announce WLP 90, San Diego's Super Yeast, now available year-round. WLP 90 is super clean, super fast fermenting, with low esters and has a neutral flavor and aroma profile. It's alcohol tolerant and highly flocculent. For more of the latest White Labs news, click over to whitelabs.com, where you can read reviews of yeast, learn in the lab section, and join the customer club. And if you should find yourself in San Diego, White Labs has a brand new training facility for craft brewers and home brewers alike. Whitelabs.com. Discover yeast, nutrients, enzymes, and more for commercial breweries, home brewers, and homebrew stores. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact rain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris and I approve this message. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. The session. Brewing up our next batch of radio gold. Right now. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for sticking with us. We're talking to Sandor Katz. He's the author of The Art of Fermentation, and it's uh, all things fermentation, not just beer and not just wine and not just kombucha and not just sake. It's uh, all about food and, and just fermentation in our lives. It's a fantastic book. Highly recommend checking it out. Thanks for hanging out with us, Sandor. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So a couple questions coming in from the chat room that I wanted to get over to you. Uh, our producer Scott's getting that listener sauerkraut ready, and uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> you know, I got to say, I know that you're a fan uh, of sauerkraut, and that's one of your biggest experimentation things. I, I haven't had it in years because I never liked it. But I'm curious yeah. now that I've become a sour beer fan, if if maybe my palate has changed. Uh, we're going to see here when we have five different kinds to try. Did, <laughs> so. did you not like it because of the taste? Or, like, I yes. didn't like it because the only thing that I knew about it was going to ball games. The kind of mushy, almost translucent, trashy yeah. sauerkraut. Like we never really, what household grows up with sauerkraut? You know? Right. You well, know, that would be the Coast, fast food version, wouldn't it, at the ball games? And right. maybe that's what I didn't like. I, I don't know. This stuff, I will say, looks much better than, than any sauerkraut mm. I've ever seen. 
Well, I, I mean, good, one, thing, one thing about sauerkraut. Yeah, really thanks again about, to uh, Mike for sending this in. So the first one I'm going to pass you oh, guys is... Uh, Scott, hang on one second. Go ahead, uh, Sandor. Oh, well, I mean, one thing about sauerkraut and, and really about most ferments is that, you know, they can be more fermented or less fermented. And, um, you know, the, the historical context for this food is that it was survival. It represented survival. Um, you know, basically, uh, uh, you know, the nutrients that are in vegetables preserved so people could have them throughout the winter um and so uh you know it would typically ferment for months uh, uh people uh, in places who had access to salt would sometimes make it very very salty um but it doesn't have to be very salty at all it doesn't have to ferment for months uh when i was uh doing my my cross-country wild fermentation book tour i, I ran out of my nice mature six-week-old sauerkraut at some point and i began serving people uh sauerkraut that i had made just a few days earlier and at first i was completely embarrassed about this until all of these people started saying wow that's the best sauerkraut i ever had in my life i thought i didn't like sauerkraut but that's delicious so you know i'm really just saying this because um uh, you know the sort of you know uh, classic pasteurized sauerkraut that is you know sold on hot dogs in in uh in ballparks which uh, i happen to have always liked um uh you know isn't the only way to make sauerkraut you can you can incorporate you know a vast array of different kinds of vegetables. Uh, you can make it very spicy. You can ferment it for a short time, in which case it's not extremely sour, or for a long time, in which case it will become very sour. Okay. Um, the texture can be varied. Um, I, I mean, it's an extremely versatile food that really could be tailored to anybody's palate. See, I'm already suffering from the guest uh, likeness that I always have. Every time we have a brewer on, and I'm not a big fan of their beer, but as soon as I hear them talk about it, I go, oh, their, their beer's wonderful. That like, sounds great. I, 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 you're already making me like sauerkraut. I haven't even tasted it yet. So, uh, Well, what do we have, Scott? Uh, well, so speaking of the ballpark kraut, the first uh, first line here, the yellow stuff, that's the traditional kraut. Okay. And uh, Micah, the guy who made this stuff, made it with white cabbage, garlic, and caraway seeds. The second row here is a red kraut. It's with red cabbage and mustard seeds. And then uh, the next one is a, a Korean kraut, which is uh, white cabbage, white onion, garlic, ginger, uh, and Korean chili powder. And uh, we'll, wow. we'll, after we finish these, uh, we'll have uh, the other two. I okay. think I went to high school with a Korean kraut. Did you? Yeah. That's weird. Let's try. All right, let's just start. Yeah, I want to start with the ballpark kraut. Right. Let's go right for yeah, the... Yeah, JP just went for the uh, traditional. Now, Scott is serving us uh, this on sausage. But I think I should try a piece without the sausage. What I agree because I think the sausage has quite a bit of cinnamon in it. Okay. Oh, it's not bad. I don't. It's very crunchy. <laughs> still, it's not bad at all. No, it's great. It actually, it tastes more like. Um, I wonder if this is a young fermentation. Now that I've listened to you describe that standard, because it tastes more. Um, pickled than it does sour mm-hmm. now it certainly has sourness well i mean p- p- i mean there's a lot of confusion over those expressions i mean pickle is sour I and mean, pickle means anything preserved in an acidic medium i see um, so sauerkraut would always be a pickle got it well then this is already <laughs> better than any sauerkraut i've ever had <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, micah suggested that i get uh um you know store-bought sauerkraut uh to sort of compare but i figure I mean, other than Justin, who doesn't like it, we've all had it a, yeah, a thousand times. Yeah, I have a memory of that, for sure. And uh, it's kind of generic. But, you know, I mean, if, if you seek it out, I mean, in most places in the United States these days, you actually could buy, um, you know, sort of good locally made store-bought sauerkraut. You know, it's sort of like seeking out the, 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 the micro-brews rather than, the, you know, Anheuser-Busch products. 
That makes sense. Well, some, sometimes the Anheuser Busch products uh, can be superior to to microbrew. I mean, does that does that sure, hold sure, with sure, sauerkraut sure. as well? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, um, <laughs> I, I would say not. No, I, w- I would say that um, uh, you know unpasteurized sauerkraut almost always tastes much better than uh, pasteurized sauerkraut. Okay, because um, uh, just just uh, flavor texture. Okay. How much I mean, sour- you know, and, and and you know the, the 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 pasteurized sauerkraut tends to have that uh, texture that you are kind of that you're you know kind of putting down from the 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 um, uh, 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 ballpark hot dogs. I mean, it just has a very different uh, texture to it. Got it. Well, now the second one described as what Scott? This was the uh, the red kraut, red cabbage, and mustard seeds. Now this has even less of the the pickle sour flavor. Um, I think it's that mustard seed kind yep. of toning it down, maybe. It tastes a little bit like cat food, I have to admit. How would you know? I never yeah. had to eat that. I like that Sorry. one. Our it reminded me of a were, Reuben sandwich. You were, you were poor? Yeah, when yeah. you were a kid, you never tried to eat cat food? No. Oh, you mean, I ate a dog biscuit once, yeah. but never cat food. <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? <laughs> you know, you got to try things. Dog biscuits oh, were, were all fair fodder, but, <laughs> not, but not, not cat, cat food. food. Yeah, it has a what about fish food. It's like a certain bitterness to cat food that this uh, that this also has. I usually like bitterness. But Can in- you possibly come up with a better? <laughs> I'm trying to comparison try because to, try to raise relate. your hand if you've eaten cat food. That's the best one I have. <laughs> one, two, three, no one. In Justin's defense, though, it, it, it does kind of smell. It tastes like cat food smells. Well, there and you I go. have smelled it, so you're on to something. So I, I feel bad for this listener because uh, now he's, now he's, well, he's 50 50 because first he gave me the best sauerkraut I've ever had, and now he's, <laughs> and now he's giving me cat All right, food. Well, he's, he's got three more tries here. That's right. true. All right, so this one then is the one with the uh, chili powder? The, the Korean. Correct, yeah, the uh, Korean, Korean kraut. Is it spicy? Basically, he says basically the ingredients of kimchi, but fermented in the German style. And you'll, you'll be the judge of if it's spicy. It's not. It can no. only taste the meat. It's not spicy. Yeah, you got to eat just the pieces of, of the kraut without the meat. It's it's wonderful though. I could eat that. I could eat that on a on a hot dog all day long. Do you like kimchi? I don't know. I don't think I've ever had it. When we went to that uh, Szechuan place a few months ago, that was what they were kimchi with the spicy peanuts or whatever. I don't know. All right, I'm, I'm going to go get the other two. Do you, do you want it just the kraut? I thought yeah. the meat would be a good balance, but we could do just the kraut. Just It'd the be kraut. Quicker, just bring the kraut. Yeah. yeah. Well, like Sandor, I'm already becoming a fan of kraut. Well, I wish I had this tasting platter in front of me so I could be Sorry. tasting the same things. Yeah, you're, and you pro- your descriptors would be much better than mine. I'm sure of it. <laughs> How like cat well, I've, food. I've never had cat food crowd before. <laughs> Sandra, well, I think you can use that just taste descriptor in your next book. Yeah, I don't recommend it. Um, how many sauerkrauts do you have fermenting now? I, I gather that you're. this is an ongoing thing for you. Well, it is an ongoing thing for me. I mean, this is not a huge time of the year for making sauerkraut. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I actually have the, the, the bottom of the barrel, as it were, of a batch of radish kraut that I made in a 55-gallon oak barrel uh, last wow. November. Okay. Um, and uh, and I did make a batch last week, but uh, of a very short term, um, uh, uh, like a corn relish. Like I take sweet corn, uh, cut the raw kernels off of the the ear, uh, uh, ch- 
chop up a chili pepper and an onion and some garlic, uh, uh, salt it, and then uh, squeeze it for a few minutes with my hands to get everything nice and juicy, and then stuff it into a jar um, and just ferment it for a few days. And it's incredibly, incredibly delicious, like a like a, a fermented corn relish, really. Wow. Um, but uh, but it's gone. I mean, the summer the summer is not a good time for um, long term preservation. Um, you know, really, like the the the, the ferments that, that you that you tend to age for a long time, you make uh, uh, later in the season as it's beginning to get cool. So, um, you know, around here, October, November would be the time for sort of putting up batches that are going to get you through the winter. So you can make it any time of the year, but the you know the the, the context, how long you can use it, is, is 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 different depending on the season and the temperature, and, and also what your storage possibility are you know if you have an unheated cellar you can age things through the winter much more easily than in if you live in an apartment or a home that's all heated so much like our our brewing of beer temperature control of these fermentations is is key yeah absolutely and you know different types of of ferments have different um, ideal temperature ranges so in listening to this, I'm realizing that I am, am just as naive about something like sauerkraut and how varied it can be as I was about homebrewing when we started the Brewing Network. Uh-oh. You know, well, I just sauerkraut mean, Network? Well, he just, one of the ones he mentioned was in a, it was in a barrel, uh, in a, you know, and, and, and then, and then the, the relish style and the different ingredients that you can use. These are all things that I learned as we talked about homebrewing that I couldn't imagine beer could be. Yeah. And he's describing this food to me as something I couldn't, you know, I, it, I, much like you. UJP uh, thought it was the yellow stuff that goes on a hot dog, and that's yeah. that. That's all no, it is. And, and, and I, I would argue that beer is, uh, you know, beer is a lot broader of a topic than, uh, you know, hopped and malted barley. Right. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I write in the book about, you know, African-style sorghum beers and Mexican-style corn beers. Um you know, but but the reality is that the you know the the, the techniques for you know fermenting grains into alcohol um, are, are are actually quite varied, and um, uh, you know there's 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 a lot of possibilities you know beyond the wonderful familiar um, you know malted and and hopped barley. Absolutely, and I'm glad you bring that up because in the the fermented you know fermenting alcoholic beverages sections. There's actually a fairly small amount of time spent on on barley based uh, uh, beer, and a lot more on on some of the varieties that Sandor just mentioned. Uh, although I will say that uh, Sandor spends a little bit of time talking about malting your own barley. Oh wow! Uh, which I which I found interesting, and he's got uh, he's got some information from our friend uh, Dr. Bamforth up at Davis in there, All right. and uh, some other folks that you'll recognize throughout the book. And uh, I, I did find that interesting. I, of course, I skipped ahead to the beer section to see what we were going to find, and was there's a a, a, a very nice uh, discussion about malting your own barley and, and really doing it all yourself rather than just you know buying it that way. But but then again, if you're interested in fermenting beverages in general. It, there's just tons of info about other beverages. Yeah, there's more to ferment than beer. Yeah. Oh. 
So, <laughs> well, and I mean, beer in a way is the, is the most um, you know technically demanding of any of the alcohol ferments. Uh, you know, if you want to turn honey into alcohol, it's much easier than to turn barley into alcohol. You just dilute the honey with water, and the the, the process will happen more or less spontaneously. Um, you know, same thing with grapes or really any other fruit will spontaneously ferment into alcohol, but but barley. Will spontaneously ferment into um, uh, into acids. You know, I have in the section of fermenting grains and making porridges. You know, I have all sorts of you know easy spontaneous fermentations of grains into something kind of acidic. Hmm. Um, but but to turn grains into alcohol requires that that the the, um, uh, the step of breaking down starches into sugars, and that's what malting is in the Western tradition of beer making. It's a it's it's an enzymatic process. That breaks down starches into sugars. Um, uh, in the in the uh, Asian traditions, this is done generally in a completely different way, using molds, growing molds on rice or on barley, which which are molds that have amylase enzymes and do exactly the same thing: break down the starches, the the complex carbohydrates, into uh, fermentable sugars, simple carbohydrates. Um, and the, the third way, which is really the first way that people around the world uh, figured out how to do this um, is using saliva. We have we have enzymes in our saliva that break down starches into sugars, um, and that's uh, you know that's one of the things that it means when when they say digestion begins in your mouth. Um, and and so the most ancient traditions of making alcoholic beverages from uh, from grains involve chewing the grains, and, uh, and and actually these traditions survive in in several different parts of the world. Now, Sandor, um, that's where I've drawn the line. Okay, and and I got to that part in your book, and in fact, we we've talked about it here before. And I was doing so well; you were helping me along so much. And then I got to the part about the the saliva beer. Oh, shut down! And I, I went right back. I reverted right down. back to old me. <laughs> you throw the book, but of course, Sandor's right, and right. this is a traditional way to uh, add enzymes to break down uh, the sugars. And yeah. it just I still can't get my head around it. Look, if you don't have a homebrew shop. You know, what are you going to do? You need to ferment. You're going to chew your mash. That's right. That's all that happens. Or have other people do it <laughs> or for you. Or figure out how to malt your own barley. Or exactly. Well, or yeah. do it that way. Yeah. Uh, well, let me get to some of the questions I mentioned in the chat room. Just It's going to skip us around a little bit, Sandor, but it's all stuff that's in your book here. Um, Tom, uh, Tom writes in, hey, Bev, uh, could you please pass along this question? Summer sausage is fermented with lactic, lactic acid bacteria in the form of a powder, he says. Is it conceivable that I could use the culture from a lambic beer to ferment sausage? Is it conceivable? Yes, it is conceivable. Okay. Um, is it advisable? Uh, that that's hard to say. I mean, just to give you a sense about of like you know adding starter cultures to fermented sausages. Um, uh, you know, it seems that this was first done in 1961. So basically, you know, all fermented sausage up until that time was done not necessarily by adding lambic beer, but by, you know, relying on the bacteria that are just spontaneously present. Um, 
uh, you know, so so I, I mean, I, I I imagine one could possibly one could replace the powdered starter culture with nothing. Yeah, you know, or one could you know add various you know other kinds of starters. You know, to a large degree, starters can be used interchangeably. Um, what's important is that it be a bacterial starter and not a pure yeast starter. Um, but a lambic beer would certainly have a, a mixed culture that included lactic acid bacteria. Sure. Okay. But but it might also give your your you know sausage a kind of a yeasty flavor that might not be so desirable. And I feel like if you're gonna, although you do encourage experimentation in the book, I feel like if you're gonna go through all of the effort to to make a sausage, <laughs> yeah. in, in my opinion, I'm stacking the deck in my favor. <laughs> the pure culture. Yeah, I'm getting the run. Yeah. You know, I like it. Can you do it? Yeah. Should you do it? <laughs> nah. <laughs> And and you know, Sandor, I felt the same. I I did also skip right ahead to the to the cheese section because mm-hmm. oh, do I love me some stinky cheese? And and you just <laughs> and you did a, a great job of of kind of describing the differences between the hard cheese and and the stinky cheese and um oh, and I just love it. And so I, I of course went ahead to the the section of how to make it. Um, but but then Sandor kind of goes on to say like. You know, if you really wanted, if, if it kind of said to me, if you're really going to make good cheese, you better spend some time studying this. Yeah, dude. Because, in other words, you were saying we can all do this, but that good cheese that I like is made by professionals, right? You know, it's, 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 it's the beer, right? It's home brewing. Well, right? and, and 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 the other thing is that it takes a lot of it takes a lot of. Uh, milk to make a pound of cheese, okay. um, and uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I've had the good the good fortune to be able to experiment quite a bit with cheese making, but it's because I was living with goats, and uh, so yeah. in the summer there were just gallons and gallons of milk that we you know ran out of room for in the refrigerator. So you know, it sort of was like community service work to make uh, uh, you know, to make cheese out of it. But I think once you're once you're off of a farm context where there's a you know a Supply of milk demanding to be used, uh, you know, it's a it, it's 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 an expensive thing to learn, and um, you, you know, I mean, it's very rewarding, but it might make more sense to go to a farm where they're um, you know where they're producing the milk and trying to produce cheese and just learning from that rather than you know buying gallons and gallons of uh, of milk for your experiments. Right. Good yeah. call. Yeah. Or get a bunch of goats. <laughs> or get a yeah. bunch of goats. <laughs> I made goat cheese once. By, by a bunch of goat milk, and it, it's a lot for a very little yield. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, I, I know we're running a little short on time, and I, just a couple more questions from the chat, but I, I wanted to talk about another thing that I, I felt was important in the book, and I and I, I feel like it's pretty important to you, and, and that's about the, the health benefits of, of fermented food. And it, it seems that it kind of goes back to the natural bacteria that lives in our bodies, and and maybe what we've done to that natural bacteria over the years with all of the uh, purified foods that we eat. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with uh, how you feel uh, fermented foods uh, affect our bodies and, and our, our digestion and our health in general? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I would say that, um, uh, you know, fermented foods transform, uh, fermentation transforms foods nutritionally in a few broad ways. Um, and, and, and of course, ferments are so varied that, it, you know, it's impossible to generalize, um, you know, about, uh, you know, let's say bread, sauerkraut, salami, chocolate, and yogurt. 
um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, e- each of these foods has, you know, its own sort of distinctive nutritional qualities or, or, or lack thereof. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but, but fermentation transforms foods in a few broad ways. Uh, number one, we can call pre-digestion. I'll just list them and then I'll come in and discuss each one for a second. Uh, uh, pre-digestion, detoxification, uh, nutrient enhancement, and then finally live bacterial culture. So pre-digestion is the idea that the fermentation breaks down um, dense compound nutrients into simpler, more elemental forms that it's generally easier for our bodies to assimilate. Okay. Um, uh, so, you know, I think soybeans offer maybe the most vivid illustration of this. Um, you know, the reason why the vegetarian subcultures adopted soybeans as an almost singular replacement for meat and milk is that soybeans are considered to be the plant source, <clears throat> the plant food with the, with the most concentrated protein. But you never hear about people sitting down and eating a bowl of soybeans for dinner because it would just give you awful gas and indigestion and our (laughs) human bodies are just not capable of uh, uh, extracting the protein from uh, from a soybean. Um, And so, you know, the Asian cultures, the pioneered soy agriculture developed all of these different ways of fermenting soybeans. There's soy sauce, there's miso, there's tempeh, there's natto, there's many variations on those uh, those four uh, uh, themes and um, and these foods are very distinct from one another in flavor and in texture. But what they all have in common is that the soy protein gets broken down into amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins. So so pre digestion that's like you know breaking you know dense nutrients that are often uh, inaccessible to us into uh, simpler forms that it's easier for our bodies to access. Okay. Um, uh, lactose is broken down by fermentation. Even gluten is is broken down by a, a bacterial fermentation. Um, uh, then detoxification is an aspect of that. And all around the world, there are uh, you know various nuts and roots and, and foods that would be toxic in some way without fermentation, but the fermentation removes the toxicity. Essentially, by, by pre-digesting those um, uh, toxic compounds into benign forms. Uh, the most famous example of this would be cassava. Um, which is a starchy tropical tuber that's very important food. Um, uh, but in certain soils, it produces extraordinarily high levels of cyanide that would kill people um, if they weren't processed. The processing is extremely simple. They're, they're peeled, coarsely chopped, and placed in water. And the water initiates a bacterial fermentation that breaks down the cyanide into benign elements. Um, uh, nutrient uh, 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 enhancement is basically the idea that the fermentation generates additional nutrients. Almost all fermented foods have higher levels of B vitamins than the raw foods that you begin with, and this basically involves a, an accumulation of microbial bodies, living and or dead in the food, and they embody B vitamins. Um, there are also these sort of unique micronutrients that are essentially metabolic byproducts of different organisms, but you know some of them have been uh, found to be um, anti-carcinogenic, protecting us from cancers. Um, uh, 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 you know, one in particular uh, from the Japanese soy ferment called natto has this compound called natto kinase, which um, uh, you know can can help uh, uh, prevent um, unwanted blood clots. It sort of regulates blood clotting, and it also can basically clear out clogged arteries. I want uh, it. 
<laughs> dissolve the fibers that accumulate in blood vessels. Um, uh, so, so you know, certain of these metabolic byproducts have been found to be especially beneficial. Now, all the things I've just mentioned would be true of a food whether it was cooked after the fermentation or not. What's really the most profound benefit of certain fermented foods is the live bacterial cultures themselves, but they're only alive if the food hasn't been cooked after the fermentation. So like, you know, raw yogurt, raw unpasteurized sauerkraut, um, raw kombucha and other lightly fermented uh, uh, beverages. I would even argue that lambic beers and wild, you know, wild yeasted beers, which incorporate lactic acid bacteria, have this kind of probiotic quality where the bacteria themselves can help to replenish and diversify bacterial populations in our gut, which we desperately need, but because we have this you know, constant contact with all of these chemical compounds that are designed to kill bacteria, um, you know, they're under continuous assault in our bodies, so you know, we need to be consciously replenishing them. One way people do this is with um, uh, uh, capsules, um, you know, probiotics, but, but really, you know, many, um, uh, you know, many uh, traditional fermented foods that are not cooked after their fermentation um, you know, are every bit as probiotic and, and I would argue more uh, uh, probiotic than supplements you can buy. Well, I am drinking plenty of sour beer, so I'm I am <laughs> positive that my digestive tract is just where it should be. Your biotics are all pro. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why doctors don't ever recommend you should drink more sour beer. <laughs> they're just they're just not as advanced as we are yet. Uh, now, uh, Sandor in his book is very careful to point out um, that there's a lot of. Uh, claims about the health benefits of fermentation that are, are yet undocumented and yet unresearched. But still, there are some um, examples from, from readers, uh, and I assume people that you've met throughout the years, uh, some even claiming that it uh, has cured autism uh, in their child, uh, others that it cured a, a lifelong problem of um, the inability to digest foods, like having, a, a, in fact, she claims to be misdiagnosed with um uh, IBS with irritable bowel oh. syndrome, and and once uh, as a result of of medications treating other problems, but then once introducing uh, fermented foods into her system, that uh, her IBS mysteriously went away. Um, and again, Sanders careful to to point out that he's not making uh, medical claims, but there's a lot of fascinating stories about how people consuming uh, fermented foods and how it's affected their lives that uh, it's just really interesting stuff yeah I mean I hear a lot of a lot of dramatic stories like, like that and particularly from people who have uh, you know suffered uh, from you know some kind of uh, digestive complication um, or you know chronic digestive problems you know acid reflux uh, chronic constipation um, uh, painful digestion um, uh, you know many people who have you know had a long history of problems with digestion once they start trying to incorporate uh, these live culture foods into their diet, uh, you know, find that everything changes for them. Sure. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's very good stuff, and uh, I recommend this book for anybody uh, who is into uh, growing their own food, uh, into making cheese, into uh, fermenting anything, not the least of which, of course, is beer or other alcoholic beverages. It's really an in-depth look at, at not just the history, but the uh, the techniques uh, of doing so much of it, and I just I've been enjoying it uh, very much. Uh, that is interesting. Yeah. One last question from the chat here. Uh, Mike writes in: uh, Have you done? Any, and I don't know who this person is, but have you done anything like David Chang's katsubushi? 
Well, I, I have gotten to visit the the, the test kitchen at, at Momofuku, but no, I haven't done anything specifically uh, specifically like that. What is katsubushi? It's an opera. It's an ancient Japanese opera. <laughs> I see. And is that Sandor's other field? No, I don't know. it's one of the Kama Sutra positions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sandor's like, um, all right. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a f- fermented fish. Okay. Oh, that's another one in the book that's pretty interesting. Is that where they bury it for a long time, or am I thinking kimchi? Well, there's so many techniques for for fermenting fish. I mean, you know, even sushi. You know, I, I, I mean, ju- just like fresh milk is a phenomenon of the 20th century, so is the sushi that we know. You know, you need a you need a refrigerated counter for that fish to be in to have fresh sushi. Mm. The the historical uh, you know origin of, of sushi is basically fermenting uh, fish. In uh, fermenting raw fish in a bed of cooked rice, because the limitation with um, preserving fish and meat through preser- through fermentation is that um, you know the, the 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 acids which are the byproduct of fermentation that preserve food um, are 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 made from carbohydrates and flesh has barely any carbohydrate content so when you when you put the fish in a bed of rice what you're doing is putting it in an environment full of carbohydrates that as they ferment will create acids which will enable the fish to be preserved I'm telling you, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, there's some there's some info in there about moving from traditional techniques to modern techniques, and and the problems that it, it's causing too. I mean, almost every section has some really interesting things. But uh, it, it, you were talking about burying the fish in the ground, JP, mm-hmm. uh, in, and I didn't look at all the techniques. But Sandor brings up a a point where uh, modern cultures are are put instead of burying it in the ground, they're putting it in plastic bins to do the same process. Yeah. And that's creating problems uh, with a bacteria that we don't want. Is, and it, so. is it doing good as well, or is it just causing problems? Well, I mean, the particular story that he's citing is, you know, where the, 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 the greatest incidence of botulism in North America is coming from Alaska. And it's basically native people who are um, uh, fermenting fish um, uh, sort of in the traditional ways, except that instead of lining their pits with um, uh, uh, pine leaves or, or grass or other sort of permeable plant uh, uh, um, <clears throat> substances, they're using plastic. And so they're creating an anaerobic environment at the bottom, uh, uh, which allows, um, uh, you know, this uh, uh, bacteria, Clostridium botulinum, that produces the, um, uh, you know, most dangerous toxin known to humanity, uh, which is botulism. Right. Um, so uh, you know the the survive the the, um, uh, the fermentation of fish has absolutely been a, a, an essential uh, survival practice in the, that part of the year. I mean, people never could have settled in that harsh environment if they didn't figure out how to make fish that they could catch in the summertime when 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 uh, waterways are accessible to feed them through the winter time. Um, uh, you know, but 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 sometimes sort of through through the generations and historical change, you know, certain of the. De- Details um, uh, get obscured, and 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 so you know some contemporary people are um, you know uh, mistakenly interpreting the, the practices of their uh, of their forebears um, uh, and and lining the pits with plastic, which is creating a problem and and really not creating any advantages. 
it's the stories like that that are throughout the book that, to me, make it you know just as much uh, uh, an, anthropo- an anthro- anthropological look at us yeah. uh, as it is a fascination with fermentation. Because it's in, in every step of the way, it's about our history. And yeah. how it affects us, and how it affects our bodies, and it just anyway. I, I just I got real excited about it, Sandor, and I think a lot well, of people. I'm, so, that read the I'm book. so glad you enjoyed the book, and I'd love to just mention that I have a website which is wildfermentation.com, and I have links on my website to all sorts of fermentation related resources, um, and also that I do a lot of teaching, and uh, you know I have a I have a place in Tennessee where I live where I teach, but I also travel around quite a bit, um, and, uh, and and teach, and I list all of the workshops as well as workshops that other people do. Um, on, on my website so anyone who's interested in learning more about fermentation please check out my website wildfermentation.com and awesome. I'm sure you can f- I found the book at Barnes & Noble uh, but I'm sure it's on Amazon and all over the place yeah what's a Barnes & Noble I don't even know what that means I don't know but that's where I found it uh, <laughs> The Art of Fermentation is what it's called it's Sandor Katz it's it's fantastic stuff by the way Sandor I, I just got back from Tennessee I was in Nashville for a few days Tennessee and uh, I don't know how close you are to there but they have a fantastic beer scene uh, yeah, I'm definitely familiar with some of the the, the, the local brews. Um, uh, uh, the, the the Yazoo uh, Hops Project beer is one of my local favorites. I went to Yazoo. It was my favorite brewery there. And the reason, actually, one of our listeners is doing their wild fermentation um, project there. So I had a I had his Brett Saison, and it was the, oh okay. It was the best. He's, he said it was fermented with two strains of Britannomyces, and it was the best beer I had in Tennessee. It was fantastic. All right. Are they going to be putting that one on the market soon? It's available in the tap house right now. It's a very small barrel project, I guess, they're doing. So if you go to Yazoo, you can get it. But he also told me that they'll be releasing several more wild fermentations uh, over the next few months. So Okay. Well, next time I go into Nashville, I'll go check it out. Thank you. There you go. Thank you, Sandor. The Art of Fermentation. And uh, go to wildfermentations.com. And uh, just thank you so much for your time. It's a fantastic book. And uh, thanks for being with us. All right. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Take care. Bye-bye. There you go, folks. That's good. Sandor Katz, read the book. Uh, we Live the book. We scratched the surface. And, yeah. uh, you know, some of the comments... By the way, Charlie Papazian writes a recommendation on the back of the book. Oh, wow. Hey, you guys want to hear from Charlie? Sure. What does he say about it? Uh, the art of fermentation appeals to our personal and fundamental well-being with a thoroughly engaging account of wild, tamed, and unaccounted-for microorganisms. Based on theory, science, and practical observations, Sandor Katz casts thousands of dots onto the pages for us to connect with our own experiences and interests. That was a terrible imitation. You, you just sounded like you. <laughs> right. Yeah, Charlie Papazian's on the back of this book. Uh, as you read it, you, you hear a lot of the people uh, that we've either had on the show or the books that we've read. Uh, Wild Brews, uh, I forget the author name, but he's quoted in the Jeff book. Sparrow. Yep, uh, Jeff Sparrow. Yeah, there you go, Sparrow. Yep. Um, of course, I, I mentioned uh, Dr. Bamforth is in there. And uh, when you get into the malting of barley, there's a couple other guys that we know. And uh, so a lot of sources cited, and it's good stuff. Sandor Katz, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I grow my own food, some of my own food at home. No, you don't. I do. I just planted. Uh, I just planted a new tree. It's a. It's a new. It's a gordita tree. It's a new Ford tree. Oh yeah, gordita. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to that. In the winter, it gets super gorditas. You should plant a yeah. uh, seven layer burrito tree. It's not the right climate. Nice. They need higher elevation. I see. Idiot. Well, good job. Thanks. It's a good start, anyway. Thanks. I'm trying. So all you eat is gorditas because you said you you grow oh. all of your food. Well, I, I, I changed my mind. I said some of my... <laughs> because you can't eat all, Gordita. I mean, they don't flower year-round. 
Right. That makes sense. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> Aren't you guys have taken all of this wonderful information we've just gotten and totally crapped on it. And Congratulations. It. Yeah, but it's a probiotic crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, we got a lot more to do tonight, uh, but but please do go check out the book. Uh, you're going to love it, and uh, we appreciate Sandor's time here on the program. Uh, who's the listener who sent in the uh, sauerkraut? What's his, his name? His name's Micah. Micah, thanks, buddy. You you might have changed my opinion about sauerkraut. I'm going to eat the other, what do we have, like three more kinds to try? Two, but yeah, plenty. All right, hang in there. It's the session. We'll be right back. Listening to the Brewcasters. Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Have you ever dreamed about attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Danstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2014 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition in the 2014 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 13, 2013, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit danstaryeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter. So get brewing with Danstar and get your entries in to the Danstar 2014 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at danstaryeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Danstar and Lalamond Premium Brewing Yeast and enter to win. All right, BN Army, it's trivia time. What's the only homebrew shop with over 1,000 recipe kits, $4.99 shipping on orders over 100 bucks, and is also home of the Wolf Shirt? The one and only answer is Austin Homebrew Supply. For over 20 years, they've specialized in creating recipes such as the best-selling Texas Blonde Ale, Apocalypso, Hot Bomb 2.0, and Double Chocolate Stout. And they just recently unveiled their small grain kits that produce one gallon of beer. Visit Austin Homebrew homebrew.com to browse their extensive catalog of equipment and ingredients. They also have many clone recipes of your favorite commercial beers. They're the exclusive retailer of Brew Vent Yeast Fuel as well, Yeast Nutrient, and the all-new Bodybuilder. Follow Austin Homebrew Supply on Google Plus to participate in video hangouts on popular brewing topics. So visit austinhomebrew.com today and make sure you sign up for their weekly email with news and specials. Austin Homebrew Supply, austinhomebrew.com. I-10, huh? Getting tired of that same old handcrafted beverages day after day? Are you looking for something with more diversity than your normal beer? Fellow BN Army member Michael Fairbrother, owner of Moonlight Meadery, is reviving an entire beverage category. Mead! The meads at Moonlight Meadery are all handcrafted from the finest honey on the market and are perfect for any occasion, like weddings, baby showers, or... Excuse me? Mead is not your average girly drink, mister, and Moonlight Meads can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere. Football games with the guys. Yeah. Barbecues with the guys. Yeah. Operating power tools with the guys. Yeah. Um, actually, sir, that's really dangerous. 
Good point, son. Next time you have something to celebrate or are just looking for a new tasting experience, pick up a bottle of mead from Moonlight Meadery. Now in 21 states, making over 60 varieties of mead from dry, semi-sweet to sweet. Break out of that craft beer low. Grab a bottle of Moonlight Mead. Can't find some? Then ask. No, make that demand some. Yeah! Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, a flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some. What's funny is, Bruce will say, yeah, I don't brew to style. I'm brewing my own beer, and it's like a German Pilsner, but it's black. Yeah, it's a sports beer. beer. (laughs) The The home of live beer radio. TheBrewingNetwork.com Because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. You're listening to The Session. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks again to Sandor Katz, author of The Art of Fermentation. Go to wildfermentation.com and uh, check out all the info that you need right there. So at the beginning of that song, are those sirens or are they wolves howling? Hmm. I think they're sirens. I think it's people going, woo! I don't know. I I think that uh, Push probably put sirens in there to match our location. In Martinez. Ah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I just found the front door unlocked. I had to go out and lock it again. Thank God. For the fear of the, the Martians that? coming in again. <laughs> what was his name? Curtis or Corey or Kevin or Crazy. Ted? Crazy. <laughs> wasn't, it, wasn't it New York? I, was thought, that, I thought it was a city. It, his, it his, name? That his name was a city. I don't think so. He just was a Martian. I don't know. All right, like I said, we've got a lot to do today, and right now we've got our friend Crispy, it's Chris P. Fry on the line with us uh, to talk about a new project with the AHA. How you doing, Crispy? I'm, well, I am Crispy. <laughs> Are you fully recovered from the Homebrewers Conference? It's been a while. It has been a while, and there's been a Michigan Homebrew Festival and a lot of good times in between since then, so just keeping it at a good simmer. Okay, good. Well, I'm happy to talk to you, Crispy. If you don't know who Crispy is, he is the artist formerly known as the president of our governing committee. Uh, he's still with the governing committee, and he represents us over on the Brewers Association as well. Plus, he's an all-around good homebrew dude who's been doing things for you that you don't even know about for years. Uh, you can always find him at the National Homebrewers Conference, and uh, he's just a good dude. I- I'm happy to be talking to you, Crispy. Well, thank you. 
So, Crispy has introduced uh, to the AHA a new project that he's here to talk about called the Research and Educational Fund. Tell us about it, Crispy. Well, you know, let's start with the really boring name. It, it's pretty self-explanatory, Research and Education uh, Fund. We were thinking of having some other fun names. You know, we were talking about uh, the Awesome Club of Awesomeness Award earlier, doing something with club awards along those lines. And we said, you know, this isn't the uh, let's see if you really can blow up a bourbon barrel or let's see how much money the AHA money we can spend uh, <laughs> fund. This is really a Research and Education Fund. And it, it came out... You know, I, I, geez, I've been on the governing committee going on 10 years now, and 10 years ago we had 8,500 members and we were bleeding, doing really bad. And I had run on a foundation saying that, hey, we need to give back to the membership. You know, we need to kick it up a notch. And I got in and, and realized <laughs> we're going out of business sale here. Yeah. Uh, so we focused on, on doing things to, to improve the membership numbers, and now that we're healthy, uh, this is a great way to give back. Uh, lots of clubs and lots of people already design their activities and experiments around, you know, learning something new. And now that the AHA is healthy, it's a way to give back and also to expand the knowledge to everybody. So people, members can submit proposals to uh, do a project, do a research or an experiment, and uh, can receive monies back. And we get to share the results with everybody. So that's it in the, in the thumbnail. The details uh, I can get into, but uh, that's high level. Well, we can get into some of them, but I, I I love the idea. I've loved it since you mentioned it, Crispy. And it's a uh, it's it, the, the timing is just perfect. Over the last uh, few years, I've heard different uh, people talk about the need for more uh, actual scientific research in beer uh, because, believe it or not, there's there's just not a whole lot of it going on. It's certainly not being documented. I mean, uh, home brewers and, and craft brewers are are experimenting all over the place, right? But but the fact of it being documented. Uh, Garrett Oliver, um, when he put out the, uh, what was that giant uh, book that the he just... Encyclopedia of Brewing or whatever. Yeah, essentially. Uh, I did a talk with him at the Great American Beer Festival, and he was really advocating that we should have positions in our brewery for documenting the experiments that we're doing, and that there should be more research going on, an actual scientific uh, notation of the things that we're doing. Um, Charles Bamforth uh, has said the same thing that you know when when they're doing uh, when they're writing their textbooks and and doing the things they're doing up at UC Davis, it's still just barely scratching the surface of what we could be doing to learn more about beer. Right. Um, so to me, this is awesome. It it it's you know what you're doing, Crispy, with this program is you're crowdsourcing. Uh, we are, and I, I want to put in a caveat here, because you just mentioned two of the brightest names in the brewing world, <laughs> and so you know, we've just scared off 34 to 35,000 AHA members, and you know, thousands of the Brewing Network members, because, geez, Charles Banford, for God's sakes, Garrett Oliver. Um, we've gotten proposals already. Some of them are uber geeky, yet they don't have to be. Right. They don't have to be. They can be simple and fun. I mean, we've had the very first one that got done was simply splitting a, a batch of identical ciders with five, six different yeast strains and having some blind, double-blind tests with uh, BJCPs in the public. And that was actually presented this year at Philadelphia. Yet we got another guy who's going out down to the orange groves of Florida, and he's scraping wild yeast off of uh, the citrus crops, trying to see if one of them can become a, a beer-brewing uh, uh, gee, I can't even come up with it. Saccharomyces. Right. Uh, we've got you know people who are who are working on water chemistry of mead, but other people are doing something that's very simple, uh, a clean, simple proposal. I mean, we're talking about 
uh, funding somebody up to 250 bucks for their supplies and for some lab analysis. We'll, we'll uh-huh. double it if you bring it to a national homebrew conference because you're a thousand people in a room and you do a presentation. Hell, 10 gallons gets you one ounce of a sip to everybody in the room. <laughs> right. So it's getting harder and harder to, you know, encourage people, you know, homebrewers with a good idea to get in front of a thousand people when it used to be a hundred or two hundred and, and share their idea and maybe a little bit of a sample. So yeah, it is crowdsourcing and, and we want to, we want to really just have it grow and get big and uh, I'm really glad we're on the air talking about it because we want to bang the drums and let people know there's money out there and we're waiting. We're waiting to get these ideas and we've got a, a terrific subcommittee. We got a, a bunch of people who aren't even on the governing committee. As soon as we mention it, we got a bunch of uh, really bright people who know how to help people get to yes. Because, you know, we've had a lot of proposals come in that were too broad, too wild, too, too far out. It's like, okay, let's draw it in. Let's get a couple of teachable points out of this so it can be reproducible and so people can understand it. And actually, people really appreciate that because they realize they've maybe bit off more than they can chew. Sure. And things are starting to really shape up on the initial proposals. So how does it work? Where do people propose? And then what is the process that happens from there? Well, uh, there's a couple of places they can find it, but if they go to the AHA site and they go to the community section, that's the, the second column there, and you work your way down, there's the Research and Education Fund, and there's a submission form, and it's a whole uh, overview of the program. You can also backdoor through the form. There's under general discussion, there's a, a pinned item that's, again, on the Research and Education Fund. But there's a, a basic proposal form where uh, members are just going to put out, this is my idea, here's my proposed budget. You know, uh, We're going to, of course, work with people on that, but you, up to $250, like I said. Here's the, uh, the, the parameters of what I'm trying to do. That immediately gets sent to the eight or ten people here in the Research and Education Fund. We're going to take a look at it as a team for a couple of days, and then so far every time we've had one person raise their hand as a coach. That coach is then going to communicate with that person saying, hey, love the idea, maybe we need to kind of tighten it up here or focus it there or proceed. And when you're done, and when the AHA and its members get uh, what we consider decent research, you know, something that's readable and makes sense and can be shared either through the, the website, Zymergy, or at a conference, then submit your receipts and we're going to pay you back. Got it. I like it. It's a great idea, right? It is, yeah. And, I, and who knows how much information, either either profound or small or, or large, uh, could, could really come out of this because we all know how many homebrewers out there are really geeking out about this stuff. Or even just guys willing to do a, a, a creative experiment that we'd all be interested in. Yeah. Uh, so I really like it. It's a, it's a great way to get, uh, I think, our community involved. For sure, yeah. Homebrewersassociation.org is the website, if you didn't already know. Uh, that is your uh, American Homebrewers Association. And in fact, Crispy, right now on the homepage, they're featuring the first uh, AHA-funded uh, research project, which, which was the cider yeast comparison you mentioned. Um, that's that's right, and we did that just as a teaser, and we might put out the next uh, couple of ones, but after that, it's really going to become a members-only uh, property. Okay. At least that's how it's envisioned, that you know, we have certain sections of the website that's member-only content, uh, but at the same time, it's tough holding back knowledge to the whole community, so... Uh, I think that's still up for discussion, but that was the last general direction we were going. Well, that's all right. And some of that information is going to leak out into the into the public anyway. But let's face it, this is member dollars being spent yeah. on, on member research. So it's okay if it's a members-only area, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is my, it's my dues going toward these uh, research funds. <laughs> that's right. Do-do's. That's right. <laughs> so, well, again, Crispy, I love it. It's a, it's just a good idea, and I think we're going to see some uh, some good things out of it. 
Um, well, I appreciate you letting me have the opportunity to bang the drums. We're hoping to see a whole bunch more coming in. We've got budget. Operators are standing by. Send us your ideas. No matter how crazy, we'll help you shape them up into something that we can approve and get you to yes. See, I like that too. That you're actually you're not just sending rejection letters. If there are some good ideas in there, you're you're working with folks to get it right. Yep. Yep. Uh, we've only had one that's a little bit farther out than we can even handle, and uh, I don't know how big a market there is for hydroponic pots, or uh, right. excuse me, hydroponic hops. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry Tasty sent that in. Uh, I told him just... I need more than 250 is all. I think. Yeah. <laughs> per light, he, he already had all the equipment. He just wanted to tr- try plants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, homebrewersassociation.org, and then click on Community. You'll find the Research and Education Fund down in that list, and uh, go check it out. You can submit there, and uh, if you're an AHA member, which, of course, you should be, uh, then you're going to benefit from this information right there on the website, too, as the projects are funded and completed. Crispy, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Guys, have fun. Take care. Take care. All right, there you go. Crispy's a fun dude. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a good That's guy. That's a good little program. It's a good program, and I know that he, he's been thinking about it for a while, and it just was the right time to implement it, um, and uh, I think we're going to see some, some good things out of it. Well, it's just about time for our Brewcaster Challenge update. Uh, I think we're just waiting on uh, Johnny P to call back in and uh, get ready for his uh, update. Of course, you were right. He is calling in. He's not going to show up. He's calling in. Yeah. Uh, he called in once already. I think I gave him the wrong time, and uh, he's calling back now here in a couple minutes. But uh, here I'll give you the rundown as we're waiting for that. And uh, essentially, uh, the third Brewcaster Challenge was assigned to John Plisse and Doc, and we gave them a uh, Roggen beer. Uh, yeah, nice, to, nice on that. <laughs> to try. And, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're not only looking for things to looking. challenge our brewers. Yeah, Tasty, you were lucky. I, was, I didn't you, realize that. <laughs> you thought we were going to pull that shit on me. You thought we were giving you the finger with uh, your wit beer. I'm so thankful. <laughs> yeah. We really I, actually, I can actually drink this beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, of course, our idea with the challenge is to have some fun competing against each other, but we don't want to make it too easy on the brewers themselves, so we're not going to pick things that are right in their wheelhouse. But on top of that, we, we want it all to be educational. And and my thought was that if Doc and if guys like Doc and John say are learning through the process, then so are we really learning through the process because it's just the best way that it works. Doc's going to discover new things and John's going to discover new things. And when they do that, I think it really helps us all. So that was the idea behind picking Roggen beer. Um, (laughs) You know. Well, and just to have with everybody. (laughs) Now, at the time, um, we didn't have... uh, None of us had tasted a Roggen beer when we assigned this to to John and Doc. And in fact, we weren't even sure if we could get a sample. Well, as always, the listeners have come through. Uh, and, and JP went out and did some research, and Moscow did some research, and uh, even some of our German friends, I don't think that beer is here yet, but it's on the way, have sent us some Roggen beer to, to try. So we're going to get to taste it ahead of time. Uh, we're also going to hear from Doc and John about their beer. John, you with us, buddy? Yeah. Thank you, sir. I'm sorry to interrupt your family time tonight, but this is important stuff. No, I agree. Okay. Way more important. <laughs> yeah, family's forever, dude. This this challenge is for like a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's what we'll do. Uh, I want to hear about each brewer's uh, brew day, how it went, and how fermentation is going. You don't have to give away too much if you don't want to. 
at the end of, of hearing from both of you, we're going to bet uh, the brewcasters here in the studio, as we've done with each challenge, we'll bet on who we think the winner is going to be. Um, so, so John, again, you can give away as much or as little info as you like, but just keep in mind that the segment is educational, so even though you're here in a competition, give us something, you know. Uh, besides, there's not much either of you can do at this point to, to alter the course of, of, of events, I assume. You're, you're both pretty deep into fermentation. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, let's start with John, uh, and uh, tell us about, uh, first of all, a little bit about your recipe, and then on to your brew day and how you think it went. Uh, brew day was pretty smooth, uh, about five and a half hours. I spent about uh, an hour and a half the day before prepping water. Uh, getting all my volume water ready, and then um, were you prepping like water yeah. chemistry too? Is that yeah? I just yeah. measured out my salts, the five two stuff. I got um, I added some calcium chloride. I add that to most of my beers here to soften the water. Okay. Um, and then I actually prepped the morning of brew day. I added rice holes, a pound of rice holes, and I actually added it in layers so I could get even distribution when I stirred it during doing. Wow. Kind of. Um, I do have a wider mash ton, so I had pretty good efficiency. Yeah, I had like eighty-three percent efficiency. Okay. Um, I did. I did do a step mash with uh, using direct flame to the mash ton. Wait, hang on one sec. Before uh, we go to that, because um, that's interesting that you use direct flame too. But didn't you and Doc a- agree on something with the mash uh, ingredients? Didn't it have to be fifty percent rye. Fifty percent yeah. rye. Okay, so you both did that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. and and that so and then recipe, that's the reason for needing the rice holes, right? Because the rye is is it's like wheat with no husks. Okay, it's the same way. So you don't want a big dough ball. Got it. Okay, sorry, just want to catch right. up there. All right, so then you did a, a step mash. Yeah, the, stepped it. You know, I did uh, the beta glucan rest at one thirteen. And then I did a protein rest at 131, and then I did a, uh, a sugar rest at 153, and then I did an alpha amylase rest at 162. Okay. So, and I was actually surprised. I actually had the flame on almost the entire time and did a McDole-like recirculation the entire time, and I stirred probably 15, 20 times to the process. Um, it was interesting during doing the rye malt was... Uh, it was definitely high in protein. It was very gummy, and and it was interesting. The uh, the layer and the colors on the mash were would re- it was like just like gum. I mean, it looked like gum. Really, protein I've ever seen in a mash before. Wow. So I never brewed a rye beer, so I was a little nervous. Um, sure. Now with the then, uh, with the direct fire, but you're constantly circ- uh, recirculating the mash, and then of course you mentioned stirring. That's all to keep from scorching at the bottom. Exactly. Yeah, you get hot pockets if you have direct flame. Um, if you don't stir, you'll you'll find that with a temperature reading, it'll be like one thirty one spot, then one forty five in another. Right. You really got to be on top of your mash because you could really screw it up. Um, and it was interesting when I got around one forty, I was pretty dialed at like five different points in the mash, and then all of a sudden, at like one forty nine, when I was ready to do my sugar rest. It just spiked to 152 out of nowhere, and I was, like, kind of freaking out. So, <laughs> <laughs> See, I have but that. I, honestly, and I'm not – this isn't one of my exaggerations here. I have that problem just with single infusion mashes. With mm-hmm. I have the, the thin, tall mash done, 
And I got to get in there and really, really stir it around and stir it again and stir it again, even for that initial uh, temperature to come right. Because it'll go from, yeah, it'll go from 140, and before I know it, it's 158 because of whatever pocket is on my thermometer. And I've got two thermometers. Yeah. I've got the temperature probe uh, for my electronic device in one area, and then in another one, I've got the um, the, the regular uh, analog uh, you know, uh, thermometer. And anyhow, I get those hot pockets, too. Never mind doing multiple steps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost unavoidable. It's going to happen even in single infusion. You know, any step, I think you have to be just completely anal retentive and just take readings for the entire day during the match. Well, you're just the guy to do that, John, please say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, did you end up hitting every step that you wanted? I did. I actually was, you know, I was kind of, it's funny, I was brewing and I was like online and I was freaking out like, oh shit, is this temperature right? You know, I, I kind of read about it and that stuff and I was like, I hit 113 on the button and that was just by dumb luck. Um, that's the high end, you know, the breaking down of the the glutens, the gluconase, or whatever they're called, the betas. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank God for Palmer's book online. That was sweet. Um, that came in handy in his little protein rest chart. So thank you, John Palmer. There you go. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, let that was, me, that's the mash. I thought that's it. So that's it for mash. Hey, let me interrupt this for one second because we did pour one of these Roggen beers in here. Wh- whose beer is this one? This one is from uh, Rubens Brews up in Seattle, Washington. This was sent in by uh, Brian Johnson, and he sent a lot of other beers, too. So thanks, man. That's awesome. That's a fantastic beer. It's pretty good. I'm enjoy- I thought for sure I was not going to like a Roggen beer because of the, the closeness to Hefeweizen yeast, you know, that the kind of – I was expecting a lot of clove and, and banana things. But the rye spice in this – and it's it a like lot, a rye bread, and it's a lot of it. Yeah, yeah it's more yeah. like a rye bread, and, and and less of that of the banana bullshit that I don't like. I really like this beer. It still has the banana, but yeah. you're just saying the rye just kind of cuts it. It's, it's, it's more levels. subtle. Yeah, it's lower estrogen. Yeah, um, which I'm sure John and 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 Doc can talk to us about their fermentation, and how that might impact that too. But I think that in particular, the rye malt helps that style of beer for me quite a bit. I like this beer. It's really good. Uh, okay, so. Uh, how did you hop the beer, John? Is this a, is this a hoppy style or no? Um, I was aggressive on the late hop. You know, I thought I, I went with saws rather than hollow tower because I thought it was spiciness influence from the rye. You get spiciness from the Weizen yeast. Yeah. So I said, you know, I went with the saws to just kind of accentuate the aromas of spice. So I bittered with hollow tower. Okay. That's it's, it. It's a low IBU style, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty low. Okay. I like your choice. I like your experimenting with the saws. That's a good idea. Um, and now you're fermenting away, or is fermentation done? Uh, fermentation is done. I crashed it yesterday. It's at fifty right now. I'm lagering it for about another week. What temperature did you do primary? Uh, sixty-two. Okay. You know, I, I pitched at sixty-five. I didn't do any starter. I just did two packs of Y yeast. Okay. Um, I figured. There's plenty of yeast in there anyways, and I didn't have time really, but... Just went for it. Uh, boy. Yeah, who cares? Who cares? And then <laughs> um, the Weizen yeast was crazy. In about 16 hours, 12 hours, I had full croissant, and then at 24, it just exploded, and then um, it was done in two days, the Weizen yeast. Wow. Yeah, the 3068 from Y yeast, and then the cold sheets, the, the 2565 strain... 
it uh, it didn't peak until about 48 hours later, and then it hit full cruise in about you know 72 hours later, and they both actually kind of finished around the same time. Wait, um, so you split the batch? I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, bring a surprise blend that I have for you, but I can't tell you. Okay. It's, it's not going to be the one that I entered for the brewcaster thing, but okay, well, that's cool. I've had I've had a rye beer before, and I couldn't stand drinking it, and <laughs> so I blended something into it to make it drinkable, so I could kill the cake. So LSD. <laughs> yeah. What didn't you like about it? Uh, not enough LSD. Yeah. <laughs> that rye it taste. Just it just, just the malt profile. I don't know. It could have been the brewer. Who knows? But. Um, it just still wasn't a good beer. <laughs> so I didn't want to waste beer. Okay. So it's the nature of this brewcaster challenge. Yeah. We make we, a beer you don't like. We get some beer we don't like, it, so we blend it. So, but yeah. but but the just your, your primary batch here, you did one with the Weizen yeast, and you did one with Kolsch yeast. Yeah. Okay. The Weizen the one that I'll enter for, you know, to be the style, you know, cool. if you ask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to try it, though, the other ones. That's great. Okay. Yeah. So. I think it you'll get a better impression of the rye malt influence from the Kolsch yeast. You won't have all that funk from the Weizen yeast. So I did that for educational purposes. Got it. I like it. Okay. And so do you feel that fermentation went, went pretty well and, and as you planned? Yeah, so far no hiccups. You know, all it's, right. all, it's all gravy. Uh, John's, John's brew day and recipe are sounding pretty good. The stock just went up, I'm thinking. Yeah. I think we picked the right competitor. Uh <laughs> Sounds, sounds pretty smooth. Okay. Well, let's hear a little bit from Doc then and uh, find out how his brew day went. Any surprises in your recipe, Doc? Yeah. Yeah? You want to tell us? Uh, in the recipe? Um, well, the, the standard of this beer is going to be kind of like a Dunkelweizen, uh, but with rye. Okay. And I don't like Munich malt at all. Ah, uh, yeah. So I figured I'm going to switch it around a little and stick within the parameters of 50% rye. Yep. And but 23% Pilsner and 23% American Two Row and then about 4% of Carafa Two to get some color in it. Okay. And uh, so basically that's that. And then so bitter- Pilsner is your replacement for Munich. No, no, Pilsner would have been in there anyway. Oh, it would have. I yeah. see. Okay. I just decided to. Change it around. Got it. Okay. And uh, it needed to be just a lot of rye with a lot of diastatic power, power to other things in there. Okay. Um, but uh, bitter with perlay and uh, finishing with some palatar uh, mirafu. Okay. And then uh, that's basically what. And then, then I'd use the, the 3068 with a big-ass starter. You did? Yeah. Okay, so one did a starter, one did two two packets. So that's interesting to note. We'll see if we can taste any differences there or, or find well, out how I, they finished. I, I right? wanted it to roll fast too, so it was about a four thousand milliliter starter. Wow! And I used it as <laughs> as like a like a croissant. So I had the I had it going. I didn't let it settle out. I I wanted it to be actually a, a fermenting beer at that point, and then poured the whole thing in there. Oh, you did? So you didn't do the dump-off-the-top technique nope, in this case? No, not on this one. I wanted to be kind of like a, a croisoning with it. And How many-gallon batch did you do? 10, 12, about 12. Wow, so 4,000, okay, wow. And actually, I ended up with about 15, about 15. Okay, you got that. So, yeah, it was, it was, did you split that starter, though? No. That was all for 10 gallons? 
I, I ended up with more because my my I underestimated my efficiency. So instead uh-huh. of twelve gallons, I ended up with about sixteen, probably. Okay. Um, so, how about your mash? How did how did your mash go? What'd you do? Mash went well. Uh, it was a five step mash with two decoctions. Ah, the old decoctions. Yeah, two de- I didn't I, I didn't want to do three, but, <laughs> but you did two. Yeah. Uh, but the decoctions were, it was one of the smoothest ones I've ever had. I just I scooped it out. I had a uh, a smaller pot that had the clad bottom, which you have to use. I've tried it with the unclad bottom, and things just burn. Okay. You know how much you stir. And this was textbook. Scoop it out, put it in. Uh, Bearsmith came in real handy. Oh, yeah? It, it tells you how much to pull out in quarts. Boil it, hmm. put it back in, and it it will bring you right to your temperature. That's cool. That is cool. In fact, that's what I was gonna. Yeah. I just wanted you to give us a brief decoction description, and I thought you might say, "Well, you just pull half of it out, no, and put half it, of it back in." But this actually calculated. Right, and, it calc- and I, I punched in what temperatures I wanted. Okay, so I, I started out at ninety-five, doed in at ninety-five with rice holds. Uh, then I just I recirced it up to about one twenty-two. And that's when I pulled off the first decoction at that point. Boiled that while the other was setting. Put it back in. Bought it right up to, I want to mash uh, low, uh, 143. Okay. Went right to it. it wow. Was, it was real nice. Uh, then I wanted to, then I pulled off another one, decoction that, boiled it, put it back in. I overshot a little bit. I wanted it to be about 154. I was about 158 or so, maybe 159. And then I just then at that point I let it set for quite a while and then up to uh, mash out. Do you think that the difference between one fifty four and one fifty eight? I mean, what would, what would really happen within that range? Anything is that? No, mostly just beating myself up because I had a number I wanted and, <laughs> and I didn't hit it. But there's not some like major enzymatic activity that would happen at you know different from. You're just enzymes, enzymes peak at a certain. Uh, temperature okay and uh, too high of a temperature they work faster but they also burn out faster uh, but they, they do have a, a peak temperature so you can be at either side of them it's just going to work slower okay uh, well, how long were you at 143 uh two hours oh, a lot of it's already done by the time yeah. we went to that. and then i wanted to make sure i got anything else cranked up to that and yeah. then mashed that at 165 cooled it down real fast okay got it in the front and it like like john was saying it was rocking at about yeah sixteen hours after. Okay, gave it a couple shots of the oxygen on the way, and boom, it's still in the fermenter right now. Uh, check it when I get home. Okay, uh, whether I want to pull it out of there, just I might leave it in there for a couple more days. Right. Okay, but that was it's been a week. I did it a week ago. Okay. Oh, uh, these beers are going to be good. I know they are. They're both going to be good. There's going to be a tough competition. Right. We need to get more judges in here for this one, so it's not just like a one-vote. Uh, or it'd even be better, actually, if we had more judges and it was still a one-vote competition. But this kind of three for one and two for the other one. It's not enough judges. I want yeah. more judges in here. <laughs> we pull some people off the street. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck. Chuck Chuck Curtis. That's whatever his name. His name. Chuck Curtis, I think. Yeah, maybe. Bring him in here. He'll judge. Uh, yeah, he will. And we'll judge him. Well, it sounds like both uh, both brew days went pretty damn well. Uh, you both have some unique things about your brew day. Doc with his decoction, um, uh, please say. Uh, yeah, they probably will be right. 
Yeah. I mean, the, the decoction versus the step mash, I mean, the malt profiles, I mean, can be completely different. Interesting. Uh, did you add uh, something to your uh, malt for, for color, both of you, to get this kind of dark right. rock beer color? I, I used carafa too, right, right at the end of the mash. Please say? Yeah, I, I just did um, uh, Munich and Kara Munich. Okay. So I had three pounds of uh, Munich and then one pound of Kara Munich for color. I mean, it's like an amber color. Okay. So one's going to be a little darker than the other. Dox is going to be potentially a little darker than yeah. the other one. Mm, we might have to put it into uh, glasses that we can't see the color now, now that we know this color difference from the two malts. Uh, I wasn't too worried about my mash ton geometry either, because mm-hmm. it's a 20-gallon mash ton, and I'm only half full, so the geometry's still oh, there you lower go. than wide, or wider than lower, so. Okay. What you thinking? Hmm. All right. Plus, if you're stuck with 10 gallons of rye, who wants to drink it? Yeah. <laughs> you don't like it. <laughs> right. He's going to bring it to Burning that's, Man anyway. Well, that's, 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 why, yeah, that's why I only brewed 10 gallons of it, not 20, because it could suck. <laughs> right. All right, well, it's time for us brewcasters to bet on uh, who we think uh, of these two is going to win. That's the little side bet that we've been doing each and every challenge uh, to, to get an extra point in there. Uh, Doc and like John. Brewing. What's that? Like fantasy brewing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should build our own brew team. Oh, I fermented it at 62. 62. Yeah, okay. And then I just brought it up to 67 about two days ago. Okay. Well, that's cool. Same temp. Yeah. You starter versus uh, yep. two, you know, two packs. You'll, you'll, I'll, be, I'll be a bizarre. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I, only, I just put some calcium chloride in. That's all I added back. Okay. And it's RO water, but I, I wanted it to ah. be rounded, more fuller. Uh, some calcium for the yeast. That's about it. Okay. We opened that uh, that Rogue Rogan beer over there. You should get some of that. It's uh, smoked. It has some smoked malt in it, which is interesting. Mm. Rogan beer? I'm sorry. No, actually, Rogan beer. Is that how they spell it on theirs? Yep. Rogue Rogan beer? Yep. Let me see that bottle. Let me From see. Rogue. I want him to be lying right now. <laughs> uh, oh, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Rogue Rogan beer. Uh, okay. All right. Let's do some betting. Uh, we're going to start with JP over here. Um, Moscow, I assume, is going to take down our bets. Uh, what, about, what about the odds? Yeah, let's do the odds first. Who, who's uh, favored in, in this matchup? I would say I would. Well, I don't. I would say Doc is favored in this matchup. I agree. I think Doc. Oh, yeah. He just came off of a strong showing at the at the homebrew <laughs> competition. Uh, Plissé's off making fucking wine all the time or something. <laughs> and I don't, babies. And babies. I don't know what he's yeah. doing. Um, had, had back in his heyday, you know, his competition heyday, I'd, I wouldn't have given Doc the advantage. Better than even, maybe. But I think uh, things as they are. I agree. There's a slight advantage to Doc. It's only slight? Yeah, like... Yeah, it's going to be only slight. Four to three? I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, I just made numbers that were close to each other. So for for I mean it's like eight to nine. You can do whatever you want. So for, for reference, <laughs> Justin was uh, uh, a three to eight two nine, dog. Eight, JP was favored in the first matchup, three to two. Yeah, and I dominated um, by by one vote. You did indeed. The next matchup was uh, Tasty and Nate. Uh, Nate was the underdog. Uh, it was six to five. I see. Well, that is close. Uh is two to one like a huge difference? Yeah, that's that's a big advantage. That means you're, that means that uh, Doc's going to win uh, twice as much, right? Is it? W- would he really win double? No. 
So three to two then is closer to what JP and I were. Yeah, I think they're I think they're probably about three to two in Doc's favor. What would be one Let's step above that? Five to four? Five three? Well, when you figure that we have five votes and three went one way and two went the other, that's three to two. About right. I see. I think that's I think that's about right. I think yeah. JC, what do you think? I think three two is hey, uh, right. Yeah. On. But you guys don't know how many people are going to be voting though in the studio at that time. No, we don't. No, but the odds separate. stay the same anyway. Yeah, the the odds of a win, not not how the votes will be divvied up. Yeah, Doc's just putting it in dumb terms for me to understand, which I appreciate. <laughs> so you have four <laughs> apples, and one goes to the moon. <laughs> What's your birthday? Uh, so, anybody else, uh, Moscow? Are you thinking different than three to two, or we're good on that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just like you said, given that Doc's coming off some gold medals, that seems fair to me. All right, let's go with that. Um, okay. So that means if you pick the underdog, of course, JP, and he yes. wins, you you'll win more points. Yeah. Can I ask the quest the Brewers a question? Yeah. Why? I don't see why not. Uh, like Bachelorette or something. <laughs> <laughs> Mister P- Mister say when was the last time previous to this event that you actually brewed a batch of beer? It's mm. a good question. Thank you. Uh, it was about two months ago. Oh, I picked Jonathan. <laughs> okay. That's he's That's in my bet. he's in practice to you. Yep. You didn't want to ask Doc a question? No, because I know what Doc does. <laughs> <laughs> but John has been I mean, you know, John has been out of my life for quite some time now. Right. And I'm I'm unfamiliar you, with what he he's not on Facebook enough for me to stalk him, so sure. I just don't know what's going on. <laughs> so I want to make sure that he knew what a mash paddle was and, and how to use it. So. You just wanted to make sure that he didn't have to go blow all the cobwebs off the off the <laughs> brewing system. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing Johnny but that's yeah. fine, it's a protein thing, it's fine. Um, so I vote. I, I, I'm going Dark Horse. I'm going Jonathan. Okay, Moscow. <laughs> Thanks, friend. You're welcome, buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Doc. I mean, it's. I don't know how you bet against a guy who just walked up on stage at NHC a bunch of times and you know took pictures with medals and it. I, it feels foolish to vote against him. So I'm going Doc. Okay. He's dead to me, Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Moscow. Well, in, in John's day, he you know he he won quite a few medals. Oh yeah. Sport, if I could build a time machine, I'd go back yeah, and right. vote for so, John. Yeah. But. <laughs> Well, most of them were ribbons of the fair. Free I mean, Moscow. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah, nonetheless, he is, you know, he's not, probably doesn't have his A game uh, since he has been able to brew. Wait, we're brewing, bro- we're, uh, bro- we're brewing rock and beers. So there's no A game here. Tasty's kicking you while you're down. Uh, <laughs> I like it. The thing that's kind of making yeah. me push uh, towards Doc is his, uh, his decoction mash and his... Uh, Pitching an active starter, that uh, yeah, to me that's a uh, big advantage. I think I'm going to like his beer, so I'm going to have to go with Doc. Okay. I like your analysis of the starter and in, in including that in your vote. I think that's a smart move. All right, Bevo, what do you think? I vote Doc. Going Doc. Okay. Wow. The pressure's on. And I haven't been wrong once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, first hey, time birthday. No, man. They had like the sixth sense shit. <laughs> Oh, maybe I should go with, with Bevo's vote then. <laughs> I'm gonna be the only one. I'm gonna be the only one voting Plisse in 2013. Well, I'll be honest. Uh, that's the only thing that makes me want to vote Plisse because you're gonna get the most points if John wins, and, and I need the points. Mark, yeah, there's I guess. the gambler, Justin. There you are. Yeah. So I'm just thinking. I'm just. I'm just thinking numbers here. I was thinking gambling. <laughs> no, either way. <laughs> I mean, John, I, I think you're gonna poker. lose. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but you never know. Uh. It's it's hard because it's an unknown style. Neither of them has ever brewed it before, which is kind of the point. So you can at some point you have to throw experience out the window. 
you know, that's no. but that's only true up to a point. Well, yeah. Doc had, for one, the technique that Doc did is something he's familiar with. And the last beer he did that I tried with a decoction mash was one of the best beers he's ever made. Uh, so just the fact that the technique that he chose is in his wheelhouse, mm, makes that's giving him some advantage there. I am also agreeing with Tasty's assessment of the starter. Now, I know that, that John did the two packets, and I think that's a, a decent alternative. But we've always promoted and talked about the, the, the sheer awesomeness of a good yeast starter. Uh, hmm. <laughs> Does it make you uncomfortable, John, that it's taking him this long? Are the eyes changing? No. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what, though, this is to kind of influence the last, the last straw, the last call. Yeah. Thing about why I chose Y yeast over White Labs is because of the activity, because of the slap pack. So I knew I, knew I didn't have a, a yeast starter, but I did choose the slap pack because I knew I would have activity and um, fermentation going. Okay. And I think the trick to a smack pack is how you handle it the day before and the day of brew day. Okay. So, How did you handle it? You no. Know, well, you, I would take it out the night before. Um, it'd be in the refrigerator the entire time. I'd let it get the room temperature. You know, it's like 75 in the garage the night before. And then I smacked it in the morning and then let it get active. Now, I wouldn't take it out. The, I wouldn't, I've, I've had problems before with the YE smack packs where you take it out the morning of brew day. It's cold. You let it get the room temp. It takes three hours, maybe two hours. You, you smack it, and then all of a sudden it's not active until like 5 o'clock that evening, but you're ready to pitch. It's like a Viagra. Night. Right. Exactly. So, anyways, I had a very active active smack pack. Okay. Uh, bursting from the same, so. That's, that's fine. I, my smack pack, I... I think you could... I also went with uh, less activity because I thought I'd have better cell growth with the uh, Y yeast, uh, uh, Hef yeast, because... What are they? What are they would you, would you get a, a check from Yeast before you called in? <laughs> right? We're going to bleep all that out in the archives. <laughs> I think, you know, to really get that, you know, I think you can control the banana overtones, the spiciness overtones if you ferment cool. Mm. We all know that. So I went with the smack packs rather than the starter because I thought I would get those flavor influences, but I could be able to control them. So really healthy cell growth rather than having all in the starter and all those flavors, you know, made there, I had it made in my... Fermenter. Right. What's fermentation? <laughs> Still, this is tough uh, on me. Uh, mm, shit. It's pretty cool to be on the phone right now. I'm in my brewery right now, walking around like sanitizing shit. <laughs> <laughs> you should just throw it away instead of sanitizing it. It's gross. I got to go with Doc. I just, you know, I, I got to do it. I'll awesome. it. Just, it's point me that direction. So you're uh, I just. I want to be on the point side with JP, but I'm just not sure it's going to happen. And uh, even though I was the one who really said John Plisse has got to be the one to go against Doc, he's the guy. Uh, just hearing about your two brew days, I'm going with Doc on this one. I got to do it, Johnny. I'm sorry, buddy. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope you prove the majority of us wrong, and that you and JP can ride off into the sunset together Woo! as winners. Nah, I don't want. I don't want to hear JP. He's not a good winner. <laughs> I'm a great winner. Yeah, me? I dominate every time I win. <laughs> what? 
All right, the votes are cast, the beers are brewed, the fermentation is happening. The final tasting of this challenge uh, will be happening uh, Monday, August 19th. Yep. That's uh, just under two weeks from now. Uh, John will bring Ooh. his beer in. Uh, Doc will bring his in. Uh, we will. I'll try to get some more judges in here as well. And we'll find out who's the winner of the third Brewcaster Challenge. I wish both of you luck in this endeavor. Thank, Thank you, sir. Rock the rock. All right, John. Thanks for calling hey, in, Doc, buddy. when are you kegging? Uh, probably. I'll probably keg Thursday. Get it out of the fermenter. Keg it I'm Thursday. I'll probably rack it once more on Saturday. Uh, carb it up, and then I'll probably bottle just before, like day of. Gotcha. Well, no, I'll probably I'll probably bottle Saturday. Yeah, and then bring it in on Monday. It, does that have to be in a bottle, or can I bring a little keg? I I think the bottles for I I just want to do it in a bottle because it's more predictable. I'm not going to get it over foamed. I, I I take a keg somewhere in the car, and it's just yeah, it's, it's like the redheaded stepchild. Oh, Beat it. Yeah, I think you can bring it in any vessel you want. You can do it in mm-hmm. any way. I just want to put it in a bottle because I can control bring the carbonation your, a lot better. Bring it in your mouth. Who cares? Okay. I don't care. Except that. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thank All right, Johnny. Thanks, buddy. All right. See you. Cheers. There you go. The big day. Dun, dun, dun. Monday, August 19th. <laughs> going to be some good fun. We're going to learn a lot from these beers. Yeah, I'm really excited. This, it turns out I think I like Rogan beer. This Rogue Rogan beer is good. I enjoy also. it. I like the smoke uh, edition. I'm unsure if that's uh, in the traditional style or not, but uh, the first one we had from Rubens Brews did not have a kind of smoky thing, and this one uh, does. And this one's got very little of the, the banana that the last one had. Mm-hmm. So I suspect, Jay, you would like this one even more. And even with the smoke, there's uh, just a little bit of that, too, yeah. because that's something that would turn me off just as much as the banana. But, uh, no, both of these uh, styles have been good so far. It's not, it's not a bad style, yeah. You know, so now I feel like, it, Doc, it's gone from, like, I don't know, just produce a good beer and we're going to like it. And that's how you win. <laughs> so now we might end up being some discerning judges of these Roggen beers. Right. This is not the style. <laughs> yeah, this, this is not a true Roggen beer, Doc. Look at Beaver's horrible face. Oh, Beaver hates oh, you, it. You don't like it, huh? That's awful. Which one, Beaver? Yeah. The, yeah, the, the that was, Rogue? That was the a smoke one. Oh, you, beer. you probably hate smoke beers. I don't like. Yeah, I don't like. Smoke I don't like flavor. smoke beers. I like the banana like flavor. It. Yeah, it tastes like bacon. I know you do. <laughs> Anybody want this? It doesn't taste. Does it taste like bacon? Yeah. No. Especially when it warms up. Mm, yeah, mine's pretty cold. They all have that great, just rye spice on the tongue. Yeah, it's, the mouthfeel is very, very deep in these. That just gave me instant heartburn. Well, you took it. You knew that it had Wait, smoke in it. You, you, mean, you mean the cabbage and the, the sausage didn't? Maybe. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was something. <laughs> Gerd. <laughs> All right, real quick, if you're looking to put your recipe into a great program to help you brew like it helped Doc brew this Roggen beer, go check out Beersmith. Go to Beersmith.com right now for the Beersmith Brewing software. You get 21-day free trial to check it out, so you don't have to take our word for it. But we've been using it, and it's a fantastic uh, piece of so- software available in both PC and Mac. It's also available in mobile forms. You can get the iPad or Kindle version. Uh, you can get it on your phone. And uh, the ones on the iPad and the Kindle, I know, are, are pretty robust. You can adjust your
your recipes and, and do the things you need to do uh, while you're on the go. Check out Beersmith.com. It's the best brewing software out there, and we love it. Get your free 21-day trial now by checking it out at Beersmith.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got a musical guest in studio with us today. Lucas Ohio Patty is going to play some tunes for us. We're going to learn about him and his local music. Uh, he's got a new album out, too, so hang in there. Good stuff ahead. It's the session. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Where do you go for all the stuff you need to brew? Homebrewstuff.com, of course. In their Boise, Idaho storefront and warehouse, they have more than 750 craft beers and 8,000 square feet of homebrew products in stock. The staff at Homebrew Stuff are homebrewers themselves. They try out just about everything, including the beer, so they can answer your questions knowledgeably and correctly about brewing, kegging, and anything else you might need to ask. Don't live near the Homebrew Stuff store? Visit homebrewstuff.com. Online and take advantage of their $7.95 domestic shipping available on most orders. Homebrewstuff.com is a proud sponsor of the AHA, NHC, GABF, and countless other acronyms. So if you're a homebrewer looking for great people, a great selection, and great deals, head to homebrewstuff.com online or in person. Visit their YouTube channel for loads of free how-to and product videos. All of the stuff you need to brew. Homebrewstuff.com Do you know the three most important rules in brewing? Sanitation, sanitation, and sanitation. And no one does it better than Five Star Chemicals. Five Star knows sanitation. You can only sanitize clean equipment. And Five Star knows how to clean, too. For craft brewers and home brewers, Five Star has what you need to keep your fermenters, serving tanks, kegs and draft lines sparkling and free of any beer-spoiling bacteria. PBW, caustic, acid cleaners, star sand, Santa Clean, lubricants and defoamers, pH stabilizers, and more. Five Star Chemicals has cleaning supplies, safety supplies, heat exchangers, pumps, hoses, and valves. And Five Star is proud to offer eco-friendly products that exceed customer expectations. If you have a cleaning problem, you need the Five Star Solution. Visit FiveStarChemicals.com or call 800-782-7019. 800-782-7019. And get the Five star treatment today when you hear blickman engineering think innovation passion quality and customer service blickman gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment at blickman they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun like the intuitive beer gun a completely different approach to filling bottles the therminator wart chiller a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow performance and the high groundwater temps home brewers face every day the Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. 
I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for any beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone certification program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. By popular vote from the Northwest Brewing News, HopTech has been voted the best homebrew shop in Northern California. Serving homebrewers for nearly 30 years in Dublin, California, HopTech carries more than 40 different kinds of hops and more than 60 different grains. Malt extract, spices and sugars, hop oils and extracts. Open every day except Wednesday or shop online anytime at HopTech.com or call 1-800-DRY-HOPS, 1-800-379-4677. With in-store classes almost every Saturday, huge selection and a dedicated commitment to their customers, HopTech is one of the longest-running and passionate homebrew stores, period. And now, by popular vote, the best homebrew shop in Northern California. And don't forget their 15% military discount. HopTech. Visit today at HopTech.com. Mix me your 100-grain amber recipe, and I'm going to eat it. And then it can ferment in my gut. It totally works. The beer is almost identical to the grain sandwich. Your colon won't know what hit it. <laughs> the, the home of live beer radio. TheBrewingNetwork.com Because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. You're listening to The Session. Beer. This is the session. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you don't know yet, the best place to buy your adult products is over at adamandeve.com. You can go to adamandeve.com right now and use coupon code BNARMY. That's B-N-A-R-M-Y. And what you will get is a free gift that's very sensual. Uh, you will get three free adult DVDs from all sorts of different genres like... Chunky and, uh, and Chunky. Uh, what is, was the other one? Big BBW. Oh, big boobs. boobs. That's a good one. Everyone likes that one. Do, uh, they, have a, do they have a cosplay one? Because I would like that. I don't know what that is. Where like you dress up like all the hot chicks dress up like in costumes from anime and and like <laughs> movies and shit like that. I would imagine. Wouldn't that be like fantasy or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah but cosplay is different because it's like role playing, but you're in like a like a skimpy bikini suit outfit. Yeah. So I thought like that was just called porn. <laughs> yeah, me too. No, That's different than like furry play. It's different than furry, yeah, because furries you don't take your suit off. You just wear a uh, tail, right? Yeah. Mm. Or you could go with just a tail or the whole furry suit, right? Why does anyone need anything more than big boobs? Isn't that enough? <laughs> isn't, Why doesn't, is it, there something more? There really is. Do you need more uh, than a vagina? They, they get old. Uh, well, it's like it's like uh, eating a hot dog with no ketchup. It's just it's fine. Ketchup adds to it. 
I like that you, that your thought, your next thought was eating a hot dog. As we're talking, <laughs> as, as we're talking about big boobs, you're Look, like, oh, it's like eating a hot, do- like a big fat hot dog. Hey, Freud. <laughs> Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. All right, let's not get over no, over not. analytical. It's not all sorts of categories. You get three free adult DVDs plus free shipping uh, on all that stuff. Go to adamneve.com and use coupon code BNARMY. And uh, we're not just joking. Why would you go to that local creepy? place where the people look at you when you pick up your cosplay dvd and they're like wow he just got the anime one uh you can just do it online yeah the best of sailor moon oh, uh, cosplay actually that is kind of one of the categories it's, it's, is that you know, it's anime or, or cartoons perfect oh, brother it's great it's just for i think it's called hentai adamandeve.com thank you for coupon code bnr clarifying <laughs> all right our next guest is a musical guest he's a local here to martinez uh not he's been in the studio now for a couple of hours and i will admit he's not your average creepy Martian, uh, like the rest of the Martians around here, around our studio. He didn't barge in and start touching things. Um, when you ask him his name, he gives you the same name every I got, time. I get the same name every time. He doesn't seem insane in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Mr. Lucas Ohio Patty in the studio. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. Are you a home brewer also? I am. I thought in fact. so. Yep. I uh, started brewing back in about 2007. My good friend, Jay Sprague. Um, kind of partnered up and he taught me the ropes and we uh brewed five um five imperial oak aged beers nice we did a compare contrast so those were so, your first beers yes wow with mr j okay. and uh jaybird and he kind of taught me to brew and um and it was it was fun i and then he kind of let me loose and made a american pale ale and entered that into the california mid-state fair okay and uh turns out I won the best of show. Is that right? No. Nice. Matt Brindleson was uh on the panel there. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He liked so, your beer. He probably stole your That's idea. a hell of a best in show. <laughs> <laughs> Check the timing on that. Yeah. He probably stole your recipe. Was it called Pale Thirty One? Was that the name <laughs> of your recipe? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was Pale Thirty. It was going to change it a little. Was it called Double Barrel Ale? <laughs> uh, yeah. And that, yeah. that was your first solo beer? Yeah. You won best in show? Yeah, and uh, gold and best ale for that same very very same beer. And then I took silver, I think was it was for the oak aged imperial stout. How do you think you did that? Like what what would you attribute such quick success to? Cleanliness, sanitation. Yeah. I was, yeah, that was uh that was really all of it. Um, Did you retire right then? Because I would never have entered a competition. <laughs> That's it for me. Yeah, I'm out. I was I was a part of the slobs, the St. Louis Obispo uh, Brew Crew at the time, and nice. and there were some some brewers there. Good good crowd down there. Uh, good group of people. Yeah, and, we know some of those guys. Yeah, you know some of those guys. Yeah, and uh, they were just like, what? They had the same reaction, like. <laughs> This is your first brew out, you know? They were like, <laughs> fuck this kid. Give him his dues back and send him packing. <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats, so, man. Thanks, well man. Um, yeah, with that said, you know, I got to get back into it. I've been focused on music lately, and so it's, it's hard to... How long have you been playing music? About 12 years. Yeah? Did yeah. you teach yourself, or are you, uh, did you go I to school? I took lessons for about a year. Okay. And uh, wasn't doing my homework, so... Yeah. I just, and I felt like it was a waste of money. Sure. And so I decided to just drop that and kind of see how I do on my own. I Re- thought maybe you and, got uh, fired from right. your, your teacher. Yeah, no. Not, you weren't doing your, I've, got, I've been fired from a, from a teacher. It was, just, it was more teacher. like I felt I like a disappointment. 
you know? Right. Like, oh, you didn't you didn't do what we were yeah, talking about last week. Again. Again. Practice this. A year of that, and you just, yeah. Were you smoking a lot of weed? Huh? Were you smoking a lot uh, of weed? No. No. Just, no. just playing music. Just, yeah. <laughs> just chasing just the dragon, really, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a new album out. It's your third, though. My third album. Yeah. That's pretty good. Really excited about this album. Slingshot Kid, it's called. It has a an ugly white baby on the cover. <laughs> so, a baby. I could have just said a white baby. That's me. And you'd... Oh, shit. <laughs> well, as you know, if you've ever listened to the program, I, I consider all white babies ugly. All babies are ugly. Excuse me. Uh, except for Abigail. She's, she's super ugly. Exception. <laughs> well, she's yeah, not, I believe she's that She's not now. all white. She's but all the, white. But the... <laughs> But the broad in the background is super hot, uh, on the other hand. That's, that's my mama. Shit. <laughs> I'm not doing well in this interview, am I, Lucas? <laughs> Come on, you must have figured that was his mom. <laughs> yeah. Cut, unless you cut and paste. That's not really you. That is. That baby's you? That is me. Who's holding? It doesn't look anything this? like you. You well, are such a douche, Justin. <laughs> look at that. Think about it this way. He doesn't have to pay any royalties, man. Take off the headphones. Let me see if you got the same creepy ears as this baby. It's a baby. That's a- <laughs> All babies have creepy. Well, now this looks like Jesus oh, on the no, inside. <laughs> that's a mirror you're looking in. Bevo. These are wait. No, Bevo. this is why we, as your helpers, should have mute buttons for you. <laughs> look what? at that photo on the inside, and tell me that doesn't look like Jesus. <laughs> looks like Jesus in a recording studio. And don't be so singularly secular either. It's a great photo. Oh Jesus! Jesus is a handsome man. Yes, that. What do you think? I'm talking about the broad on the other side. That's what he pointed to. Oh, he, he's a little too light to have been Jesus. I mean, come on, we all know that it's Jesus just, is dark. It's just the shadow in the background that makes you think he has Jesus hair. Oh, so who's this other lady holding the baby? That's that, his, oh, that's my grandma, I Grandma Mary the, Jane Patty. It's a family. I thought that was maybe the lady that stole you as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Are they listening to the show? The tonight? story just keeps getting better. Can we just can we just continue with the <laughs> yeah. the elaborate uh, yeah. story of how Slingshot Kid was really came really came around? We're just <laughs> we're just trying to help, Lucas. We're, our yeah. story's better. I love it. I love it. Are you, is your family listening to the program right now? My dad is actually. Uh, yeah, my my mama passed away last year. Oh, so. is that is? Did you dedicate? Is this why she's on the inside? A dedication to yep. your mom. That's yep. nice. Yep. And uh, actually, I recorded the album. Uh, the week after she passed away. Is that right? Yeah. That so does not sound like an easy thing to do. It's uh, It wasn't. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of emotion, a lot of heart and soul okay. was poured into this album. And it's gotten picked up now on, on, on KFOG, which is a huge local Bay Area station. Yes. This album. Yes, for the second time. I, my second album was uh, picked up as well. Okay. And uh, the first track, All Good People, which I'll play here uh, for everybody. In lo- you know, so, I would love that. So this picture of you on the back, you look... Distrusting. <laughs> like, like, it's, it's like you after this of, interview. You're looking at us like, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Uh, like, <laughs> really? <laughs> it was. It was kind of. Yeah, I don't know. Just capturing the moment. That was that. That was taken the week after too. Uh, so just how so I was feeling. An angry look. It's just I don't trust you. Guys. I saw a thread on the Book of Faces yeah. this week that was a, a list of like 21 really bad <laughs> album covers. Yeah. Uh, this is not one of them, uh, Lucas. Awesome. That was Dude, number 22. Fear not. <laughs> uh, this is a great cover. Uh, it, there were some really awful... It's hilarious. And they, they're just <coughs> random people, you know, posing and doing... Stu- 
you it's, know, look for it. It's amazing. Isn't there one with like cats? I think I've seen that. There's a few. There's there's <laughs> a lot. There's a uh, uh, mentalfloss.com is a website I go to, and they they actually have. <laughs> it, I think it's 15 stories behind the 15 worst album covers. Oh, nice! It's like the one like Ken, whatever his name is, with the big weird weirdly shaped head. Uh, the one Joyce, everyone knows the Joyce one. She's like in that red dress with like a bouquet of flowers. I think so. Um, that's like her stories in there. It's a whole thing about this. This guy just went and researched all these people and how the hell it happened. Well, yeah. this one is not one of the worst covers ever. It's a nice cover. Uh, it's a great album. Why don't we hear some music from Lucas uh, so that you don't have to hear us uh, disparage his name and his family? You are uh, chubby any baby. longer. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to lucasohio.com right now and check it out. There'll be links there to buy the album if you like what you hear. Uh, if you're local, you might hear it on uh, KFOG. And there's some upcoming shows you got uh, coming up too, right, Lucas? Indeed, yeah. I'm playing um, Pyramid Brewing August 18th from Sunday, uh, Sunday evening from 6 to 9.30. And uh, KFOG, Greg from The Morning Show actually will be there. Beautiful. Uh, kind of slinging the local CNC D10. And kind of putting that out there into the world, and um, and then I'm playing the uh, Blues Brews and Barbecue Festival, or I think it's not a festival; it's just a, an event in downtown Napa. Nice, and it's free, free parking, free admission. Uh, free there's three stages. Uh, <laughs> highly doubt the free barbecue, but, uh, <laughs> but it is close to our friends over at Downtown Joe's, the brewery in Napa. So when you're done with the concert, you can go get some beers. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. What are you gonna play for us? Well, the first track is actually uh, the first number from my second album. It's called All Good People, and it's the, the one uh, that got picked up from by K-Fog the, for this, the last local scene okay. CD. So this is from the last album? Yeah. Got it? Yeah. Do it. Tweedledee and Tweedledum, these happy feet walk dirty streets. Rock a baby, rock a chew. I'm heading west to where beggars choose. Country girl, ain't you wild? All good people walk this mile. Neath the streets these hippies roam And the lunatics make love below Memories of walking creeks When politics were obsolete Country girl, ain't you wild? All good people walk this mile Smoking spirits send them down These rain clouds are free to frown Bellies roll and the beer flows, but I'm stuck here in Limbin Town. Face the music, face the fear, funky, friendly, and free to cheer. Tales wag for broken hearts And the children wonder what it's all about Country girl, ain't you wild? All good people walk this mile Country girl, it's been a while All good people make it worth their while
broken spirits send them down these rain clouds are free to frown bellies roll and the beer flows but I'm stuck here in Very nice. That's a great tune, man. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. So that got picked up on K-Fog a few years ago for the for the last album. Yep. All right. Yep. And now the new one's out. Of course, it's called uh, Slingshot Kid. It's Lucas Ohio, and you can go to lucasohio.com right now and check it out. You'll see all the tour dates, uh, stuff coming up uh, where you can go see them, uh, and, uh, of course, a link to go buy the album as well. Yeah? Yep. We can get all that stuff on there? All that stuff and more. And you're playing locally, too. Aren't you playing at a brewery in, in, in Walnut Creek soon? Pyramid. That's the one yep. you were just talking about with playing Greg. Playing Pyramid, yep. Um, Sunday, August 18th from 6 to 9.30. Okay. And um, I used to work there. Did I used, you? I did. Wow. I, was a, I was a server there for a while. And you play music on the back patio there? Is yeah. That it, it's a yep. nice place to sit. It's a, they have nice a great yeah. beer, uh, the beer garden. garden. Yeah. yeah. And I have a, another benefit concert coming up. Uh, it's actually the same day. Here in Martinez, uh, it's an Avon Walk uh, for uh, for Breast Cancer Benefit show. Okay, and it's going to be at the Beaver Smokehouse. Yeah. Oh, that's right down the street now. <laughs> yep. It's exactly. new. I think. It's yeah, brand I think new, yeah. uh, the Creek Monkey Tap House is going to be. Uh, I think they're donating a couple kegs for that. And, okay. Uh, four musicians playing. Uh, so, anyways, uh, that that should be on the website. Uh, if not, it'll be, it'll be up there pretty soon. Yeah. And you've opened for some great people, too. Didn't you open for Jackie Green? Jackie Green. That's yep. kind of badass, man. Jackie Green was a really good guy, too. Yeah? Yeah, really cool. Good musician. Uh, great musician. And Charlie Musselwhite. Wow. He's a ripping harmonica player and yeah. also a fantastic individual. He's playing and with uh, Ben Harper these days, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't picked up that record yet. Record it's a great yet, one. But I've had, yeah? Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Good for you, man. And I just played... Uh, Really excited with my first uh, show at the Great American Music Hall. Oh, that's a good venue. So, yeah. beautiful venue. Yeah. Felt well taken care of there. Opened up for this uh, band called Poco. Okay. So, you play stuff. with a full band when you do these things, or, or is Depends it mostly on the venue? You? Okay. Yeah. Um, Blues, Brews, and Barbecue. That'll be full band. Um, so, highly recommend people coming out for that. Yeah, uh, I'd like to see that. If you, uh, if you like the CD, the CD's definitely got the full band. Plus, we just went all out, brought in, you know, we had fun with it, okay. which is what I like to do when I record an album. Um, you know, bring in the organ if that's what you what you want to hear to add some you know some texture to it. Okay, um, I, I like can talk about music organ. like you talk about beer all day long. You know, that's all right. <laughs> I would too, except that our listeners are like, all right, that, back to the beer after yeah, a little while. I know. I, I, know. I got to start the music network next or something. Yeah, yeah, but there's too much competition. Who the fuck wants to hear me geek out about music all day long? <laughs> So, more beer. All right. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Let's do this. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear more from Lucas Ohio Patty. Plus, we got to do a little bit of feedback and I'll play some tracks off the new album. So, hang in there. It's the session. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Thank you. 
is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their new Snaplock stainless steel camlock fittings will make connecting your pump or heat exchanger quick and easy. Or check out their exclusive paintball tank-based draft beer equipment. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific Time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Know the Brewing Network's very own Code Writing Fool's son, Ryan Wolf, has opened a beer mecca in Missouri. The Wolf Brow House of Beer has hundreds of beers from all over the world and is conveniently close to I 70 in St. Peter's. Free tastings Saturdays, 4 to 6 p.m., featuring special guests from local breweries. The best build your own six pack around with every style represented. And kegged craft beer available for your kegerator, too. There's always something new at the Wolf Brow House of Beer. New and hard to find beer every week. No two visits are the same, just like passing out at the Rat Pad. Hi, this is Ryan from Wolfbrow House of Beer. Mention the Brewing Network when you stop in for some cool free stuff. Mention JP for a swift kick in the ass. The Wolfbrow House of Beer. Beer with personal service from a member of the BN Army. This is code. Visit my son's shop or I'll yank the fuck BN website down. www.wolfbrow.com Here's a bite for beer lovers. Soft caramel made with real craft brew and coated in chocolate. And hop drops. Hard candies made with real hop oil. Introducing Beer Candy from BeerCandy.com. Beer Candy's amazing caramels come in four mouth-watering flavors. IPA, bitter gold wrapped in smooth white chocolate. Lager made with a familiar beer from Boston and coated in milk chocolate. Lambic, soury Belgian goodness full of fresh raspberry and dipped in dark chocolate chocolate and stout roasty cocoa chocolate insanity hop drops are made with fuggles or cascade hops and are known as the candy that bites you back choose from sampler and full sizes of both and make your mouth jump to life all at beercandy.com hop drops and beer caramels satisfy your sweet tooth as only a beer lover could with beer candy visit beercandy.com today What'd you get? More brewing ingredients? Yep. You know what I love about Brewmasters Warehouse? The $6.99 shipping. Well, yeah, but... Oh, the in-store classes for beginning brewers. Yeah, that's cool, but... Oh, oh, the brew builder. Creating and saving your recipes online is... Awesome! No, I mean, yes, but... The cheese-making supplies. No. Oh, the wine-making supplies. <sighs> oh, the distilling equipment and liquor flavorings. All that stuff is awesome, yes, but what I really love is that the guy who runs it is totally hot. And, and that brew builder software is awesome. Oh, yeah. Brewmasters Warehouse brings you flat rate shipping on great equipment and ingredients to make beer, wine, cheese, and spirits at brewmasterswarehouse.com. And if you're in Georgia, stop by Brewmasters Warehouse Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6. Visit brewmasterswarehouse.com today because it's totally hot. Oh, yeah. 
Hey, Wooly, I'm beat. Can we find a nice tree to just hang out in for a while? You're beat? I've been swinging through this forest for 50 years, ever since we... Ever since we first escaped from the circus. I know, I know, but there's got to be more to life than exploring this creek and trying to populate the valley by copulating with loose, hairy girls. Mark, we stop. Look! What is that? It looks like a man-made treehouse. With fresh food. And craft beer. Welcome to the Creek Monkey Tap House, boys. Grab a seat. Creek Monkeys drink free. <laughs> awesome! The Creek Monkey Tap House in Martinez, California, takes their mission of fresh food and beer seriously. They only serve locally raised beef and chicken, as well as local sustainable produce. It's better for you and the planet, and it just tastes better. The beer and wine at Creek Monkey Tap House are chosen with the same care for the highest quality and rotate frequently to make each visit an adventure. Swing on into the Creek Monkey Tap House and enjoy a new legend of amazing food, beer, and wine. The Creek Monkey Tap House, online at creekmonkey.com. Wait till you can pour it out of your own kegerator. (laughs) I mean, your friends will look at you with awe. And it's just hot. It is? It's so super hot. (laughs) (laughs) The The home of live beer radio. Because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. You're listening to The Session. You're listening to The Brewing Network. Because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for sticking with us. We're talking with Lucas Ohio Patty right now. You can go to, uh, what is it, lucasohio.com right now and check out the new album, uh, which we've, uh, we're have we about to hear some tracks from. We just heard a track from his uh, last album. But Slingshot Kid is the new one. I'm going to play you the first track, which is getting some airplay here a little later in the program. And Lucas is also going to play us a tune. Uh, I got to do our feedback real quick, if that's cool by you. Lucas just busted out one of those harmonicas that you wear on the neck, which to me makes him a badass well, right I off the bat. The I love that stuff. Hey, before we start feedback, take Plize on line one. He had some props for uh, our musical friend here. All right. Johnny P., what's happening, buddy? Hey, I just want to give uh, Lucas Ohio a nice job well done on the air. Great song. It sounds good, right? Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I was listening to him, and then I... Uh, Went to his website and then I looked him up on uh, my iPhone and went to cdbaby.com and looked at his tracks and I just, and I just downloaded some tracks. Uh, Look boy, at John being sweet. like the plug machine. Appreciate the support. <laughs> on my iPhone and then through my internet, which is Comcast. <laughs> Well, Johnny P. is a, a fantastic musician himself. He's a really good drummer. I used to play in bands with the guy. And uh, so this is a nice compliment coming from John Lucas. Nice. He can also so, fart nice. well. He's a good farter. So. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Later, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right, let me do some some feedbacks. I got to get to that uh, very quickly. Um, feedback is brought to you today by homebrewstuff.com. Our good friends over at homebrewstuff.com, uh, sponsors of ours and sponsors of yours. They are good people. Check them out over at homebrewstuff.com. They're bringing you this feedback. Oh my God! You've got mail. Kick ass. Uh, 
All right, some interesting stuff in the feedback this week. Dave writes in, hey, asshats, I just got a chance to listen to the Brendan Moylan show, and Moscow's News had some beer production numbers. Um, and there was a discussion about Vermont's lower beer production numbers since 2010. What people don't realize is that Vermont has been seriously damaged by the hurricanes that have gone through uh, in the Northeast in the last few years. The breweries and infrastructure have been damaged, and the people who have had to uh, people have had to rebuild much of the state. So, with a two percent drop in production, is talked about when it's talked about. Uh, that's still pretty awesome feat considering the circumstances. Uh, thanks for the great show uh, from Dave. All right, Dave. Thanks. Good information, and you're right. We will take that into consideration next time we start insulting the state of Vermont. Uh, which I don't think we did anyway, but no. we were just, start. just yeah, I'm we putting could. that out there preemptively because usually we do. So I just thought, well, there's, just, there's just, a blanket apology. Well, you just forget who you... Uh, yeah. You don't accept it's it. All, fuck you. Yeah. Scotty B. Brewing writes in, uh, Dear Session, that was a fast-paced, full-of-action show with Brendan Moylan and his wife. Such a fun show. I just wanted to let you folks know how much I enjoy what you do. Especially JP with his comical remarks, like his Billy Ocean uh, parody, Foreskin Lover. <laughs> JP has me practically peeing my panties. Yours truly, Scotty B. Brewing. Well, I don't know what to say to that other than thank you very much. Yeah. I believe that he wears panties. <laughs> Matthew writes in, uh, I'm brewing a cream ale using White Lab's cream ale blend. When I racked to secondary, I took a small sample, and it had a slight sulfur taste. I'm wondering, will this sulfur taste go away as the beer clears? Any cream ale experience, yeah. guys? Yeah, it will. Uh, treat it like a, like any uh, lager. Uh, get it cold, keep it cold for a while, and it, it'll off-gas. It'll be fine. Is Most- it a common uh, cream ale yeast thing? It, it can be with uh, certain beer styles. Uh, it's usually a yeast-driven thing, but sure. it, it usually goes away. Don't don't freak out about it too much. Okay. Uh, that was from Matthew. Let's see. Dan writes in, I want to say thanks for entertaining me through a tedious couple of days of installing communications equipment in our tactical operations center in Afghanistan. Tactical. <laughs> the word tactical is a boner generator for me. <laughs> uh, love the Brewcaster Challenge episode with Tasty and Nate. I couldn't stop laughing. Uh, excellent. Can't wait for the next one. Thanks for the last. From Dan. Uh, is this where I tell JP to suck it? Uh, yes. You have to ask. Dan, that would be where you do it. That's too late, though, bro. I'm concerned that he was installing our tactical operations center in Afghanistan while listening to us idiots. I don't feel like we... I, he should be listening to, like, classical music, like something to help generate brain cells, not Mozart. destroy them. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right thing to be doing. Oh, it is. For our troops. Oh, yeah, it war is. always goes better with Mozart. Yeah. Well, great. We are grateful for your service, even if we can't be of uh, mental use. Yes, thank you. <laughs> By the way, in Nashville, I went down, Nashville. you know, it's the it's Music City USA, if you didn't know. Uh, have you played? Have you ever played there, uh, Lucas? Yep, it, I have. It, the place is amazing. It's uh, awesome. For music. It was great. Planning on going back again. Actually, uh... Glenn Rosenstein mixed and uh, kind of mastered the the first track off the record. Off your uh, okay, I think Franklin, Tennessee. Nice. The Jewish music producer. <laughs> What's that? It's a Jewish music producer. <laughs> I guess I, so. I like to write in <laughs> All that's got picked up. Rosenstein. Hey, that's one of mine. <laughs> I wouldn't even notice, but Be- Bebo shot me a, a look of, uh, of steel. I was just like, I, Hey, do you know him? 
<laughs> right. Of course Andrew he does. Related, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> they all know He went to your bar mitzvah, right? Hey. <laughs> they see each other at the meeting. He's in, yeah, you know. He's... He bought you a money bond. <laughs> he was one of the guys helping lift the chair up and down at the bar mitzvah. In 30 years, it'll be worth $1,000. <laughs> well. What the fuck? All I wanted to point out about the music scene in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. It's just run by the shoes. Next question. <laughs> is that while you're on stage, either yourself or having somebody mention that you are a veteran or in the military no. really fills up your tip jar. I was I was at a honky-tonk bar, as there are many, right. and the band really wasn't very good. You know, they were doing their thing, and you got to like that. They fucking talk too much. They should have been doing a radio show. Right. But then at one point, like, the bartender, somebody gets up and, and, and mentions that the singer is a vet. And, oh, the dollars are just <laughs> pouring in. The, their cuppeth runneth over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, as soon as they mentioned the years. And then the American flags came out. Oh. And the next song he sang was all about America. Love and, it. And uh, I would have put in ten bucks. <laughs> boy made some dope. Being being a vet, I'm just so I don't know if you. So it, one more thing to add, nubs. Well, if if you're not a vet, just find somebody in your lineage that is, yeah. and just mention, you know, my great great grandfather <laughs> fought for this country, and you don't even have to finish the sentence. Because what happens as soon as you say, sit. as soon as you say, fought for this country, the whole place goes insane, and then your tip. So that's just just a tip, as they should. Yes. They should tip for that. They did. They tipped well. I'm not knocking it. I'm just pointing it. Out. I haven't. I've never. I've never seen it happen like that before. Yeah. And it works. Uh, okay. This one is probably the uh, the one of my favorite uh, pieces of feedback ever. I, I read through it earlier, and uh, I love these ones. Steve <laughs> from Sydney writes in, uh, "Greetings, guys." Used as a gender nonspecific term. Uh, <laughs> Long time listener, first time emailer. I live in Sydney, Australia, and listen to your show during the week as I drive across the... I think he, what he, meant, he sort of cuts off there, but I think he, he drives across some big bridge. The the main bridge in Sydney. He says it looks like a coat hanger. Okay. Oh, the I, co- I it's actually known as the coat hanger. Well, there you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, shown uh, during this week as I drive across the coat hanger. I was laughing so hard at the whole facials and Jessica's comment about it burning, etc. during the Moylan show, uh, which was a very funny moment when... <laughs> when uh, uh, Brendan's wife jumped in and started talking about facials. Uh, <laughs> that I actually had a little weave across the lane in the car. Uh, on this bridge, um, there is a no-no boundary between the two directions of traffic. Uh, it's just a it's just a thick white line. So my little weave, followed by a correction, was seen by the traffic cameras, and I was stopped over at the other side of the bridge by the cops and breath tested. Oh. <laughs> now I had a zero blood alcohol limit. But I had to explain why I had driven erratically. And my answer was to blame you guys. Uh, rewind the podcast and let them listen to the funny shit that was going on. I still got a ticket for being a retarded driver. But I did win over one of the two cops, and you all got another listener. Officer <laughs> X turns out to be a homebrewer also. So keep on keeping on the excellent quality uh, ass hattery from Steve in Sydney. There we go. <laughs> I got another cop listening. This is so good because I've heard so many calls to, to talk radio over the years of people saying, yeah, you know, I almost crashed my car laughing so hard. And I always wondered, is there somebody who actually did crash, crash. Right. the car? Uh, this is this is close. It's very close. It's close. At least he got pulled over. Yeah. Well, and we got one not too long about the guy who got pulled over and the cop comes up to his window and just goes, and he had a BN Army sticker on the back of his car. The cop comes up to the window yeah. and goes... You listen to them asshats in Martinez, too? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. Straight out of Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it when the cops uh, get involved. Share a jar of moonshine, boy. <laughs> That's right. All right. Don't forget, feedback's been brought to you today by homebrewstuff.com. Go check them out. All right. Um, that's it for feedback this week. Yeah, it was real short. Yeah, good amount of stuff there. So, can we get some more live music out of you, Lucas? Sure. What are you going to play for us now? I'm going to play a new track, uh, a track from the new record. It's called Johnny Blazes. Okay. I love it. And I'm going to play you guys a track after that in a little bit. I'm going to uh, play the one that's getting... Uh, Always See You Wide Awake. Yeah. Getting, yeah, this is the one, one getting about all the my airplane. mama. Is it? Yep. Tasty's going to cry like a baby. You realize that, right? <laughs> he already is. It happens all the time. Yeah, Tasty. Uh, Tasty met. Actually, I met Mama. I met uh, Tasty Mama. Mama. I met Tasty at Handles. Oh yeah, uh, in Pleasanton. Yep. And uh, I was with my mom, my dad. Okay. And uh, my so girlfriend. he's met your mom before. Yes. Yeah, she's cool. All did right. he? Did he try to proposition her? Uh, more or less. <laughs> well, I think I gave her a Tasty patch or something. Yeah. There you go. He's gonna cry like a little girl. I know he's going to. And then he's gonna make me cry like a little. We're all gonna be little girls in here in a few minutes. <laughs> All right, but first we're going to listen to Johnny Blazes. Uh, this is Lucas Ohio from his new album, Slingshot Kid. You can go to lucasohio.com and check it out right now. Especially 
You're going to have to play one of our festivals, I think. This is good stuff. i got to wait and hear the full band. I love that. But uh, you got Winterfest written all over you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I that's really appreciate pe- that. He must have passed cool. out early. Well, I'll tell you, if you like what you heard here, uh, my band rocks. Yeah. They're really, really good. I'm going to have yeah. to go check that out. They're because all I kinda like want full-time the full-time musicians. They're that's real what good they musicians. Do. Yeah, okay. They live and breathe it. Yeah, I might need the full band experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well... Um, Blues, Brews, and Barbecue Yep, um, is the next opportunity for that. When is that one again? August, Saturday, August 24th, and uh, it's it's from uh, 12 I see that to 4.30, or somewhere around there, but we're on from 12 to 1, no. You're on one from to, 1 to 2.15. 2 yeah. I'm looking at it right here. You can and go we're to... on the K-Fog stage. So, okay, beautiful. Yeah, 1 to 2.15, K-Fog stage, downtown Napa. Go to lucasohio.com right now. You can get all this information and uh, find out the other. Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. That's all right. No, sorry to interrupt. But uh, that CD is available, I think, now officially on Amazon, CD Baby, and iTunes. Oh, beautiful. So whichever is your preference. Click there. Amazon link on our homepage and we all get paid. Click on Amazon really? link, then go look, go look for Lucas Ohio, well, and he'll get paid, us. and we'll get paid, and everybody gets awesome. paid. Well, everybody but you, Tasty. <laughs> you just bring uh, in the talent. I see. Yeah. I get a booking for you, don't I? <laughs> we'll give you a book. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's right. 10% of what he didn't get. Yes. Exactly. Uh, all right. So I'm going to play a little bit off of the new album, uh, I think, to end the show is what I'm going to do, if that's all right with you. Yeah. First, let me just say uh, what an honor it's been uh, to be here today with the- everybody. So um, I uh, just have some real good, fond memories. Soaked up a lot of information back in the day. Nice. Listening uh, before brewing. Well, thanks for so, listening, man. It's cool to be here. The yeah. honor is ours. You're yeah. playing some great music. So uh, I wish you continued success and you know a little more radio play, and who the hell knows? Plus, you're already getting some good gigs, man. I think you're on your way. I don't. I want to jinx you. I don't knock on wood. Yeah, you're you're well on your way to Winter Brews Festival. <laughs> I, would, I would be honored to play that. Uh, See Scott, he'd be honored. So I think we're about done here. We got to do J. We got to do Twitter game. Yep. Got to wrap up the Twitter game. Then we'll do JP's announcements. I'll I'll play JP's song till the end. Uh, but then I'm gonna I'm not gonna don't don't turn off the podcast then because I'm gonna I'm then gonna play uh, Always See You Wide Awake from Lucas, Ohio, after JP's done. What was our Twitter game today? Yeah, Lucas didn't hear it. 
Our, t- <laughs> Our Twitter game was, um, if Moscow had painted Tasty Nude on a velvet canvas, what would you trade it for? Or trade for it? Trade for it, yeah. yeah. What would you trade it for? Nothing. <laughs> In the world. What would you trade for it? Okay, the winner of our Twitter game today is going to receive a Lucas Ohio Slingshot Kid CD. Uh, Lucas is going to send it out to you himself. We'll make him sign it, too. Yeah. And uh, so the winner of our Twitter game will do that. Cool. Uh, what do we have? Who are our finalists? Um, uh, yes, Beef. I have Jay Lucas's brewing buddy from New York, Online One. Yeah? Oh, Does he want to tell wow. us uh, uh, bad stories about Let's Jay? Let's take that call. I hope so. He's going to correct us on all those awards. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I do have a correction on one of those. Oh, right. The silver, Jay, the, the silver on the oak aged. I was just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, Jay, is Lucas full of shit about his homebrew awards? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, little does he know that everything I learned is from you guys, so uh, he owes you guys for those medals, actually. <laughs> well, he gave us a CD, and that's enough payment for us, I think. That'll be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I just wanted to say, uh, Lucas, sounding great, buddy. The uh, the new record's awesome. It's getting, uh, getting heavy rotation in the winery I'm managing right now. and uh, Nice. It's uh it's it's awesome. All three records are really good. If you guys uh, get a chance to listen to them, we will check out the other ones. This is going to get some play on the Brewing Network here, even after he's gone. So uh, it's it's. Good I stuff. hope so, man. I hope so. I'll be listening every week as usual, and I hope to hear it for sure. But uh, yeah, nice job, Lucas. And Thanks, uh, you guys are you guys rock as well. Tasty, JP, Doc, Justin. Thanks, brother. Great to see you, man. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Cheers, man. Hey, cheers, guys. Good night. Later, Jay. All right. What, who are our finalists for the Twitter game? Finalists for Twitter game, um, Highland Home Brewer would uh, trade both of his eyeballs. Wow. <laughs> You'd have to yeah, after that. <laughs> wait, wait, isn't he the guy who's blind? You'd wish you were blind. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> don't we have a, wait a minute. Because <laughs> that's not very much. That's useless. Uh, eyeballs okay. are a reoccurring theme in this one. Uh, creepy Old Brewer would trade his virginity. <laughs> wow! Yeah, still has it. Huh? <laughs> Pretty creepy. Uh, Who would he trade it to? I don't know. Probably mm. Scott. I would guess. Why would it have to be? Oh, but Tasty, is but Tasty might be a better lover. We don't know. Right? He could tell us. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. Uh, Sugar Valley Brewer says a big oil painting of Bevo's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's found his niche. Does, now, does he mean? He's trying that, to find his niche. Does he just mean that it's a big painting? Yeah, large canvas or, or a large painting, size. painting no, of her oily? No, he means I have a big ass. <laughs> but it's both is a painting of her oily ass. <laughs> no. Oh God! I hope your ass isn't oily. It's not. Okay. Well, <clears throat> well, she's sitting down the pants. Well, what, what if it's being prepped for a photo shoot? Well, yeah. that is oh, okay. I think sure. <laughs> I'm really glad we're still talking about this. Okay, carry oh, on. Sorry, next. <laughs> it's a big topic. We can take a hit. It's a huge topic. Oh. Uh, Git says he would trade a hop grenade yarmulke. Hmm. <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Is this on? Yeah. Is this on? Cricket, cricket. Uh, Wayne right. Perry writes, uh, my eyes after I bleach them. Bleach. Okay. So you could get bleached eyeballs. Yeah. Uh, Mark Adkins writes, my homebrew. Both are hideous to look at, to look at and show a complete lack of talent. Oh. <laughs> and then Nathan, Leve- Nathan Levengood writes, a medium paste handy with these soft hands. Hmm. Medium paste? Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work for me. Well, <laughs> medium paste. It's, I need it to be rigorous. Yeah. 
Uh, Slow and sensual. So that's it. That's all we got. I'm a little disappointed. So I have, am I. I have to be honest. Yeah, so am I. I mean, I mean they're okay. Maybe it's my filter, but uh, they just don't. You know. Nothing there seemed like a fair trade. Yeah, that's exactly. Well, a guy's. I mean, it's eyeballs. on velvet. Goddamn it! <laughs> <laughs> Two guy, guys' it, eyeballs. Exactly. It's, it's on a- velvet. Moscow? We're not just talking about some uh, water-based bullshit here. Yeah, but eyeballs. I mean, that's a that's a big sense. Your vision. <laughs> uh, I got to give it to the homebrew guy. I think. Uh, yeah, Mark Adkins. No. My homebrew. Both are hideous looking and show a complete yeah. lack of talent. At least I laughed at that one the most. It's a, and it's a fair trade. Both I guess. Is well, is he saying his yeah. body is a lack oh, of talent or Scott's yeah. painting skills? I think yeah, Scott's exactly. painting. Well, that's yeah. not nice. Yeah, Scott's he, a good painter. But he said both. Not that you're ugly, tasty. No, his, 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 his homebrew. His homebrew and your painting. <laughs> he insulted himself as he insulted you, yeah, which makes it okay. Or was he insulting tasty? No, I don't think so. Nobody insults tasty. Well, there's no lack of talent with t- I mean like his body is just, no, but that's just bad a, a wonderland that's just bad genes <laughs> I think his body is a wonderland <laughs> this is not going to be a pretty picture <laughs> you're welcome oh, well, call Bebo Butter tonight because she's on a roll uh, that's Tasty's new song I think uh, well certainly after this with Sugar uh, Valley on it Certainly, after this painting is made. Uh, oh, I can see. I already see someone coming up with it on Photoshop. <laughs> oh, it uh, needs to be real on real velvet. Oh, not not. Uh, no. no, no, no. Have you ever have you ever done a velvet uh, painting before? Yeah, the paint by numbers stuff. <laughs> meaning, have, meaning, have I painted velvet or have I painted on velvet? Uh, done a velvet. Thing. Whatever. Painting. In general. You try to render velvet. How about, you do this? No, no. Have you ever well, painted while wearing velvet? I see. The answer is it's yes across the board. Okay. <laughs> it's all a yes. Yeah, no, I mean, well, there's you, you would render velvet on canvas, or you could you would use velvet as a canvas. Yeah, do you see better. what I'm saying? What are you asking? No, I guess have you ever yes. used velvet as a canvas? No, man. No. I would. No. No, man. It doesn't grab paint. No. No, man. No, man. Hello. Well, listen, we're trying to open up your Come world on. here, Moscow. This could be a big yeah. thing. I'm, I'm close-minded. I'm, can I say? I mean, th- those dogs Which is weird for playing poker, they velvet? pop off that velvet. <laughs> yeah. Haven't you seen that? Yeah. They, just, they, they, they come to life. Uh, right off the velvet. That was painted on velvet? Yes! The, the no. good ones are. <laughs> oh, I thought those were blankets. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be a great throw? No, yeah. I really thought they were blankets. I know. I'm not saying that you're joking. Can next week's Twitter game be, if we made a throw of Tasty Naked on a recliner, what would you trade? It's just, it can no. just go on Where and on. Where would you display it in your house? Well, I, think, no, I think the better or, or question is... you lay on it? I think the better question is what what famous throw rug uh, throw blankets are actually paintings? <laughs> and Bebo could go. The Mona Lisa is a painting. <laughs> Fucking shit! Uh, My grandma was... knitted an afghan, and I thought that's where it came from. I it was crochet. Yeah, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen that Grandma knitted. I hate you guys. <laughs> Uh, little boy blue is a potholder. I don't understand. <laughs> this whole thing is insane to me. Uh, Who's the winner here? Homebrew guy. <laughs> uh, homebrew guy. Yeah, sure. We are all the winner really? here, right? Because we have Mark that ingrained Atkins. in our mind. All right, Mark. Send an email. JP at thebrewingnetwork.com. You're our winner. He's going to get you over to Lucas, who will get you uh, his new CD, Lucas Ohio Slingshot Kid, and uh, get yourself a free CD. Why don't you do that? All right. Are we? We're about done here. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're done. How all right. Know you? 
Next week, uh, it is... Wow, it, uh, we might be on Sunday. Uh, Sunday really? Yep. What? No way. Sunday, Sunday session on Sunday? Yep. Actually, it's uh, against my um, religion. We got a hell of a week coming up because our Brewing Network Homebrew Competition winner is coming to town Thursday night. He's going to have a brew day at Heretic on Friday, so we're going to get you some content there. I have a surprise adventure for him on Saturday. I don't want to mention it on the air because I want it to be a surprise. Uh, he's going to have a hell of a time, though, and we're all going with him. And then he's coming on the show Sunday. Uh, also on the show, we've got Block 15 Brewing Company, and we're going to do some Mood Light Mead tasting, too. So, so what's, what's oh. his surprise? Is that a medium speed handy? It's a, we're going to get him a medium speed. Well, he's bringing his wife, too. So Ski poles. So we'll do, yes. We're well, getting her a nice work? manicure uh, so her hand will be extra soft. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Ooh. Oh, it's not my hand. What, am I <laughs> yeah, what do you give a I shit? Care. What do I care? Right. Well, they're stay- I think they're going to stay at my house for one or two of the nights. Maybe oh. I can get a- Maybe I can work it. Oh. Maybe I can... Uh- well, see, that's, oh, that's sorry. What I thought for. this was my room. Yeah. <laughs> to work it? Well, to, to give handies to everybody. Oh. But so I was so hoping n- keep for a new one. Well, you know. Whatever. I don't know. Let's Never see. use her left hand. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> don't force it. Just let it be organic. <laughs> right. Things can happen. Yeah. You never know. Here, have yeah. another whiskey. Uh, <laughs> a roofie tell her, use her, tell her to use her vagina. That's a new one. <laughs> that is a new one. Thank you. All right. Uh, are you ready, JP, to I'm take ready. us are out you of ready? here? All right. Don't hang up after the end of uh, JP's deal because or, I'm going to play be- some more uh, Lucas Or before Ohio. it. Yeah. yeah. Or, right. <laughs> yeah, really. All you should do. All those people. Dead, black. All those black. 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 All right. Black. <laughs> you guys know what we're going to say. There you go, JP. Get us out of here, will you? And more from Luke's... Wait, Lucas, thanks for oh, being in the, in the studio, man. I appreciate it very Thank much. You. Yeah, thanks, man. This has been real enjoyable. All right, go ahead. Well, now I've lost 10 seconds on my go for it. bit. <laughs> Thank you to our show sponsor, More Beer. You can get absolutely everything you need to make great beer at home by going to morebeer.com. For social commentary that doesn't matter at all, follow Major Jip on Twitter. Scott's on Twitter as well when he's not counting his money by candlelight. Follow him at Moscow Paint. For some good beer insight and homebrew info, follow Nate Smith at Nathan Homebrew and Mike McDowell at Tasty McD. Production director on the session has been Push Eject. Tonight's show has been produced by Scott Moskowitz. JP will be farting all night thanks to Sauerkraut. Your call screener and, and ghetto bird has been Bevo. And your host, as always, is Justin Crossley. Be sure to find the Brewery Network on Facebook and Twitter.
a thousand books Live to just let things go Live to drink the finest wine Live to feel love like Thank you. 